Me, Myself, and I, a Nintendo podcast, is a passion project brought to you by a fellow gamer just like yourself. To support this podcast, follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. Subscribe to Hitbox Detective on YouTube, and follow me on Twitter at Hitbox Detective. I know everyone says this, but I truly mean it when I say that your support means the world to me. Now, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome. This is episode 24 of Me, Myself, and I, a Nintendo podcast. I'm your host, Ben, aka Hitbox Detective. For first-time listeners, I was a childhood Nintendo fan that recently re-entered the Nintendo ecosystem, and this is a weekly podcast where I discuss Nintendo news, share what I've been playing, and end on a segment I like to call Switch It Up, where I check out the Nintendo Switch online game library and suggest a game for you all to check out. New episodes go live everywhere on Mondays at 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. That way, you can start your week off on the right foot, no matter how early you have to wake up for work. This is still a relatively new podcast, and I would like to answer listener questions, comments, and concerns, so if you'd like to write into the show, you can do so by emailing me at memyselfandi.pod at gmail.com or leaving a comment on a YouTube video. Uh, this is going to be a different episode of Me, Myself, and I, as it will be a review discussion of Triangle Strategy as opposed to a traditional episode. Joining me this week is uh, the podcast's second guest ever, uh, LordsofGaming.net assistant editor Joe, aka Lord Flame. Joe, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a big honor. I love your channel. I love what you do, man. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you saying that, and I very much enjoy your writing. I mean, there's not, uh, you know, I feel like Lords of Gaming gives us kind of like free reign to make of it what we will, and you're somebody that I think really grabs the bull by the horns and goes after it, so uh, yep. it does not go unnoticed. Oh, yeah. Um, so Joe officially reviewed Triangle Strategy for LordsofGaming.net. Um, if you want to go check that out, go to LordsofGaming.net, type in Triangle Strategy, and I'm sure you'll find it. Um, uh, my personal review of Triangle Strategy went live on my YouTube channel. If you haven't seen it yet, go to YouTube.com slash HitboxDetective, and you can watch that. Here, we're just going to dive in. We'll, we'll have a re proper review discussion, and then we'll dive into spoilers. So it'll go uh way past the surface level review uh that we that i think we each wrote i mean because we don't want to spoil things in our reviews so here we'll be able to do that um but for those that don't know joe tell us a little bit about uh your gaming background and uh and yourself uh just uh as i call myself a certified simpleton just basically playing whatever comes to mind whatever is available to me i've um been gaming since i was around like uh six years old like the earliest memory that i have is actually playing uh pokemon yellow for the original game boy and i always remember how terrified i was that my pikachu actually got poisoned and i was like freaking out i was like what, what's going on i don't know <laughs> but um it's been it's been kind of crazy going from that to the playstation one to the original xbox to playstation 2 xbox c60 just Moving along, really, it's it's been great, and I really love what Nintendo Switch's been doing. So, yeah, it's funny that you say that because when you're playing Pokemon Yellow and your Pikachu does get poisoned or faints, it's not following you anymore, and there's that weird yeah. like anxiety of yeah, it's what do like I it's do? For a kids game, what, what? Why are you doing this to me? You're scarring me at a young age. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, uh, hey, we uh, Pokemon. I mean. Pokemon has always been like, especially like going back and revisiting the older games or as I've gotten older, the story is like always like way more like it's usually about like uh, 
existentialism and like uh, our purpose in this world and our contributions to the land and everything it's uh pokemon's way deeper than anyone ever gives it credit for i think true yeah just just starts to feel a little bit samey in the gameplay department and whenever that starts to happen people just like oh man it's the exact same thing over and over again but i don't know i still haven't played stuff like arceus or anything like that so i'll just i'll leave the story to you know people like (laughs) you people that actually do play it all the time (laughs) yeah no i uh pokemon games are my uh my comfort food it's like i understand that they're they're not breaking new ground outside of legends arceus but even that is kind of derivative of what a lot of other games are doing but it's like this uh it's warm it's comfortable it uh reminds me of my childhood so yeah um so, like I said, uh, we're going to have a top-down review discussion of Triangle Strategy, uh, and everything will be time-stamped, so don't worry. And then when we get into the spoilers, there will be a clear, like, all right, we're going into spoilers uh, moment. So uh, definitely keep your eyes peeled for that. And, uh, yeah, we'll end on our final thoughts. But before we get into the meat and potatoes, I wanted to ask you, Joe, did you play the game docked or in handheld mode? So the majority of the time was actually in docked. I did try it a little bit on uh handheld and i'm i'm not gonna lie even for that art style it's actually not ideal to play it in handheld at all like hmm. it actually starts to look very blurry at times and it's just like i mean obviously whenever it's stretched out on like a giant 50 inch uh, you know screen tv it's gonna look blurry regardless but it was way more noticeable in handheld than it was in docked it was just kind of weird to me so and yeah. i just kind of stick to dock and only changed it to handheld for the review to get some notes on it you know yeah yeah that's one of the more unfortunate things about playing Switch games on like modern TVs is that it yeah. does, that 1080p. I think it's like a deal to play that on like a 23 and a half inch screen or something like that, and to stretch it to almost like twice that size is uh, or more uh, does get a little blurry. But that's well, interesting. I have, I, I've been actually interested to get like a 32 inch TV, so that's like a you know an actual like 720 or 1080p TV, and playing the Switch on it for a little bit just to see if it comes in better because it'll be on like a smaller screen or if it's just because i'm playing on like a 4k tv obviously it's not doing 4k but you know i just want to see like the actual differences you know yeah oh i i will tell you right now just just capturing the gameplay and it's showing up in like the preview on obs it looks so much better not all stretched out so if you were to buy like a like a ips asus monitor that was like a 23 inch and just played on that Oh, Switch games would look so great. Uh, I I'm thinking about doing that for when uh, anything that's like maxed out at 1080p, just playing on like a perfect pixel size uh, resolution or like uh, inch for screen real estate to pixel size, just trying gotcha. to match that. But uh, anyway, we can get into the top down review discussion of the game now. Um, so real quick for anybody that doesn't know, uh, Triangle Strategy is a tactical RPG co-developed by Square Enix and ArtDink, uh, co-published by Square Enix and Nintendo, produced by Tomoya Asano, known for their work on uh, Bravely Default and Octopath Traveler, and Triangle Strategy was released exclusively for Nintendo Switch on March 4th, 2022, the same day as Gran Turismo 7, which is funny because when it came out, I was like, you know what, I'm going to get Gran Turismo 7, and... Uh, in my review, I mentioned that as things kept going along or along and Breath of the Wild got kicked out of 2022, I looked at Triangle Strategy as, man, this might be the biggest game for Nintendo Switch this year. I better circle back to it. And uh, 
I'm so glad that I did. Uh, wh- what were your thoughts on the story aspects of the game? Oh, man, that story. It was gigantic. Like, um, I played on uh, on easy, so I'm just getting that out of the way real quick just to make sure people don't know. I'm like, don't think I'm, like, hardcore or anything like that. Okay, and yeah, I played on normal. I- okay. Well, at least you challenged yourself a little bit more. <laughs> I did play some on normal, so I did get my butt whooped a couple of times. But um, this is the first game that I've played that's ever been like 20 to 30 hours on like a normal uh, story spectrum, and I never felt the time playing it. The story was so engrossing. The writing was wonderful. I loved every single character. Every single different cutscene was amazing. I love how they allowed you to... Uh, put yourself into like an autoplay sort of thing so you can actually just like press the uh i think it's like the right trigger on your uh on the joy cons you can actually just like sit back and just just enjoy the story like that just watch it all unfold and it was amazing it was dark it was gritty it had some wonderful moments awesome action sequences and everything like that and the and the endings as well like we're, i don't think we're gonna get, we're not gonna get into them right now of course but the multiple endings that I did have, some of them are happy, some of them are melancholy, and some of them are just outright dark. So, yeah, yeah. Though, no, uh, you know, this is my first time playing a tactics RPG, and so I, uh, well, well, I played Gears Tactics on Xbox, but that's like a that's like an XCOM kind of thing, not like a tactical turn-based JRPG, you know. So yes, it's kind of my first time too. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's funny because I think, you know, I, I I don't know what it is why I've resisted it for so long, but I'm finding I don't know if it's because it's like like new stuff, but everything that like last year Metroid Dread came out of nowhere and surprised me, and I like it was my first Metroid game that I played to completion and I loved it, but like I've never finished like a a metroidvania style game before and now this was my first um like tactics rpg and you know i thought surface level you know judging a book by its cover the story was going to be similar to like a pokemon it may dabble into some darker areas but uh i thought i never expected it to go as deep and the story to have as much weight as i felt that it had you know uh i mean sometimes i would be there are moments in the game where you have to make some pretty harsh decisions and i was like conflicted like exactly trying to decide like okay what is going to happen if i choose x over y or you know and and even later in the game where there's the choices aren't even black and white it's not one or the other there's three options or you're splitting up the party and sending them off to do different things. And I don't know, like the story in terms of Sarah, Noah, uh, and you know, I don't want to get into spoilers yet, but I think he's a great leading character and that he kind of has like a Ashitaka from princess Mononoke vibe where he's kind of the bridge between these different uh like almost like feuding nations and gets to kind of play that middle ground but i think that's a really hard position to play because you're trying to uh trying to do the right thing and also kind of look out for yourself and push 
they what's best for everybody forward but to do so you have to like play nice with people that you might not want to uh to achieve that end goal so i think this game like successfully nailed that and it was uh really really compelling and like you said just hitting right trigger and just sitting back and just watching everything kind of play out uh you almost forget that it's just you know pixel art and little sprites and stuff it was really cool yeah it, it feels like a modern game just using the pixel art style to tell it's like a little compelling story and it shocks you in that degree like you don't whenever you're looking at it you don't really expect much from it but then there's just these things that happen over the course of the story and you're like wow they're actually going this far with certain aspects and um you touched on the choices like i really loved how for like um whenever you're choosing these story missions there's like these additional like little side stories that you can watch so you can always you always see more and more of each character that you're going to have to make choices that involve them specifically so you actually get to learn more about them their motivations so you can see like okay do i really want to side with this person or do i want to go against them and it was really smart to do it like that because <laughs> It just reminds me of like the old like um, Dragon Age and, and uh, Mass Effect games, where it's like, whenever you make a choice, everything's so impactful. So it's like I'm learning more about these people, and I get to make a choice that actually affects them. You're putting the power in my hands, and it's awesome, while also giving me an amazing story on top of it. Yeah, the the way that you do get those, because the side stories, like right before you make a big decision. And you get to kind of go and get a sense for what may happen if you choose to go down certain paths. I would, uh, I was amazed at how this game would, everything would feel like, and it, not to say that it, it, it like robbed the weight of the decisions, but sometimes I'd be like, all right, I know that this is the right thing, or this is what feels like the right thing for me to do. But I know that by doing this, I'm going to shortchange somebody, and somebody's not going to be happy with this decision. But after you do it, you're like, all right, well, this could blow up in my face, or it could work out for the best. It always kind of, in the end, played out okay, except for like one time, which we'll talk about when we get to spoilers. But uh, I never expected to get a game over. Mid game. Oh yeah, that part. I was shocked whenever that happened too. I was yeah. like, "No way! No way! This is awesome!" <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so cool, uh, man. Um, in terms of the gameplay, uh, you know, it be both being our first like JRPG tactics game. Um, you know, I I tend to I come from like a my games are like three D platformers and uh the the classic like at this point like three uh third person over the shoulder uh adventure like action adventure games of like god of war and the last of us and everything that's it goes to tsushima that's kind of like my bread and butter uh but uh how did you feel like what is typically your game that you enjoy playing and then how did you find this compared to that Uh, i kind of like uh first-person shooters if anything so going from like a high octane you know kind of shooter like a like a titanfall to a halo or even a uh, game like warframe which is a third-person shooter 
um, it's it's a it's a much different change of pace, and I feel like the gameplay was way more was just as engaging, if not more, because of the fact that, as I called it in the review, it's more like chess, not checkers. Like you always have to plan a couple of steps ahead, and in some shooters, you actually have to think like that too. Like if I pick up this gun, I got to think about what I'm missing if I'm not, you know, picking up something else. So. Yeah, the, the, you know, when I started playing in like the first fight that like I really got into took like 45 minutes, I I was like, okay, like if this is like the beginning of the game, what are some of these battles going to be like in the late game? Uh, but, you know, you get better and you learn to one that you can fast forward through some of the turns and that takes up some of the time. And I would like to know, you know... The first couple of fights, I uh, didn't know about fast forward, and then some of the in the later game, some of the fights were taking even longer than the first fight. But I was using fast forward, so if I wasn't, how long would those fights have taken? I have no idea. But um, I found that I was completely locked in to these battles that I never would have thought. I thought I would get bored playing it like you know this oh man i just gotta slowly pick off these people and play through but i was arguably more locked in than i was playing like like horizon zero or forbidden west earlier this year like in the minute to minute gameplay moments and i you know i know that those games are real fast and frenetic and uh like kind of keeping you locked in is uh almost kind of what they're going for from a gameplay perspective but i oddly feel like triangle strategy had me more locked in than anything else i've played this year it, it was really surprising yeah i think it comes down to the challenge so to speak like with every like with every combat encounter like it's not just like okay i'm just gonna kill a couple minutes and i'll be through like you said, it's like an hour-long chess match, and it's very, very unforgiving. One wrong move that you make can cost you a lot. Like, even on easy, there was one battle um, around the middle of the game where I was left with basically just one person left. And whenever I'm playing like a first-person shooter, it's like, okay, yeah, I ran out of you know this much ammo, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna walk back, get something new, and then just keep just yeah. It's with um. With modern games like Horizon Britain West, like a Halo, like a Titanfall 2, they always give you the opportunity to rectify your mistakes while you're making them. With triangle strategy, like I said, like a chess match, one wrong move and you're screwed over for something that you actually need. Like, if I lost Saranoa in the middle of a match, like, he is a very heavy-hitting um, standard knight character, and he's actually very useful in that regard. If I lost him and I was left with, uh, just say like an archer and maybe like a tank, like yeah, the tank could take a lot of damage, and but at the same time wouldn't have somebody else to defend the archer. Basically, it's it's way more engaging in that regard because it's just so challenging, so unforgiving. I, I I just I just couldn't get enough of it, and even on easy, like there was moments in the uh, new game plus, like during like uh, one segment where I was just like retrying this exact same sh 
combat encounter over and over again because of how much I was messing up and realizing that, okay, I got to do this instead of this. Okay. Yeah. 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 There's a, like losing Sarah Noah. Like I had this weird connection to him where I wanted him to make it to the end of every battle, but sometimes it's, that's, it's just not going to play out that way. And, uh, I found that like one, I really like that you didn't like if a character died, they weren't gone forever. Um, I enjoyed that it, or in terms of like in battle, they weren't gone forever. Yeah. And, uh, if mistakes were made, uh, and uh, trust me, I made so many mistakes. Like same here. You're not alone. <laughs> yeah. Just like simple things of, uh, realizing that I forgot to turn my character to, for their back to face a wall, which just opened yep. them up to get critical hit. And then they were pretty much donezo after that. Uh, yeah. it, like you really do pay for every mistake that you make. And, um, but, I loved that your experience carries over because it made the like a 45 minute battle where you end or you lose at the very end uh, when you were like just about to win. I never like oddly enough, like never felt like I lost out on my progress. And I think that that's because I know that at least next time it's going to be a little easier because I earned all that experience and now I have a better strategy. Um, I gotcha. Same here. Like, um, same with um, items, too. And it's just like, okay, so this item didn't help me during this part, so I'm just not going to use it next time. It's not like, oh, okay, yeah, I use this, you know, healing pellet, so it's gone forever. Like, no, like, they do, like, it is unforgiving whatever you're playing it, but at the same time, with each combat encounter, even if you fail, the fact that it at least lets you keep your XP, lets you keep your items so you can think, but like I said, have a better strategy. It's... It's kind of like them saying, okay, here's what you did, but here's what you could have done better. You yes. Because you learned after the fact. Yeah. And th there are some battles where I either like botched my unit placement or maybe like halfway through the fight, I realized there are areas that were super advantageous for me to be in that I was like, oh, if I just get there with these certain units, then I'll have this dominant layout that i can just uh and i'll i'll save it like that particular battle for later because uh i i, I want to pick your brain about some of the bigger fights in the game um but you know i didn't play octopath traveler and i haven't played bravely default but so so this is really my first time playing like a hd 2d or like um uh, this art style that they kind of have. I mean, it's, I think it starts in like bravely default in terms of like the character designs, like the hand drawn art work. And um, then the, uh, games like bravely default and bravely default two, those are actually, um, they're kind of like, um, they're 3d on a 2d plane while, um, Octopath Traveler is a 2d on a 3d plane. So Got Octopath it. Traveler is a pixel art 2d, on a uh, 3D environment, and Bravely Default is like 3D. Sorry, 3D on a uh, 2D like uh, layout, basically. So it's a little bit different in that regard. But okay, like uh, the basically Triangle Strategy and Octopath Traveler like the closest to one another. Got it. And okay. It's not just like the. It's not just because like the pixel art style. It's just the way that they. 
it, it's just the way that they made everything. It's just kind of a little similar. It's a little similar, but not too similar, you know? Yeah. Okay. Well, so just how did you, like, you know, because I think we're probably coming from jumping into a game like this from, you know, a first person shooter or like a, you know, like a, a big, like, you know, I thought Horizon Forbidden West is a beautiful game. And some of the ways that that game, like the impact that you make in that world and the way it changes certain environments, I don't want to spoil anything for Horizon Forbidden West, but it's, to me, I find it so odd that a game that I think a lot of people would look at as being like a retro experience uh, in Triangle Strategy, I was surprised by how like kind of like I was like blown away by how good it looked. And, you know, maybe that's that HD 2D thing that is starting to with Octopath Traveler and is carrying forward. And we're going to see it again and live alive uh, later this year. Um, how do you feel about that art style? I feel like there's a lot of potential, like you said, with uh, Live Alive. Like, I've seen just the uh, regular trailer that they did for that game. And what they're doing with some of the stuff, like, it's like this giant uh, guy that's just kind of, like, standing in the center. And then there's just, like, 2D sprites, like, circling around him. Like, that's really creative. And they're showing, like, different um, ways of doing stuff with that art style. Like, uh, was it, like, a ninja running across, like, a uh, like a side-scrolling... Uh, rooftop and everything like that and then there's also the dragon quest 3 remake that's also using that exact same style and i've looked at all of them like they're doing different things with it but it's still kind of keeping that exact same um using that exact same style and it's just it looks wonderful like every time that i see it like octopath traveler like the way that the environments have like that 3d light the like the water effects, like I'm, I, it's weird to talk about water in video games, but it means a lot whenever you're just looking at an environment. Like you're seeing like a waterfall just like draining over like, uh, you know, draining over rocks, and it's just it's wonderful to see like with this art style they did that with it. It's impressive, you know. Yeah, there's that scene where uh, you pull up on a boat, you chase after uh, a, oh, yeah. a certain character, and when you pull up and the water's rushing by and the waves are going and they shoot that like harpoon to go over uh like to use as a zip line i was i i used it twice in my video just because it looks so good like i used it oh, yeah. in the intro yeah oh i mean i you know with content creation and i i'm sure you you understand this from writing and everything it's you kind of have to move project to project and you hardly ever really get to go back and replay something. But Triangle Strategy is a game where, especially in terms of like the story and the gameplay and how it branches and goes off into these other areas. Like, uh, I don't, I don't want to get into too much spoilers, but like, uh, I didn't get to see that much of S Frost, and I want to replay it just to see what S Frost looks like because I feel like I spent so much time in Hyzant, and, yeah. um, but Hyzant was still like awesome and beautiful and uh the like purple room that you go in to talk with the saintly seven is just like oh yeah that room i loved that i loved like the uh, entire design for um God, what is it don't want to give it away but it's the <laughs> it's the one where they're kind of collecting stuff hint hint uh that little yeah you yeah. know what i'm talking about like the way uh -huh. that they designed all that and had like all the bridges along the side of it and then whenever you're on the uh the over 
like the overview map, like right afterwards, you actually get to see like um, like how small that area is on a map. But whenever you're playing in it, it feels so big. It feels so lived in. It's yeah. It's a way of capturing like the scenery while you're playing it, but also making you appreciate even more whenever you're not in it. It's it's awesome. Yeah, I and uh, I, oh sorry, I was no, just gonna say okay. like um with uh with F Frost, like actually like that's the that, that's the advantage of like the new game plus in this like you know I went to High Zand as much as you did I think on the first playthrough but it's like you know I really want to see S Frost and the way that they did S Frost too it is gorgeous and I actually love being in there a little bit more than I did in High Zand actually it's kind of weird oh so. wow okay. That's exciting. I'm like, when can I find time <laughs> to go <Yeah>. back? <laughs> um, it, you know, for me, in terms of visuals, the the moment uh, there was like a like a not like an aha moment, but a moment where I was, I realized this game was gonna play on a level that I wasn't anticipating. Was you know, I'm it's in one of the exploration segments, and I'm making my way through, and I accidentally bumped the right stick. And realized the camera would shift in those moments. Oh yeah! And after I shifted that perspective, there were other like blinking like uh, items for me to collect, or ladders that I didn't realize that I could use to go down to lower levels and explore down there. And everything kind of opened up, and I didn't see that coming at all. And uh, I, I forgot that yeah, it's HD two D. I can rotate the camera and look around, and these areas are uh you know i think even though the exploration segments where i notice more of the performance issues that were like fluctuating frame rates but nothing game breaking or anything or anything that sarano's little legs sprinting around you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah it almost reminded me of uh was it uh goku's legacy on gba i don't think i played that no I think that's Sorry. what the game is called. No, it's okay, but it's the the way that the like sixteen bit like uh, sprites moved around in these spaces. It just reminded me of that. But uh, yeah, in terms of you know, there are the three sections of to the gameplay that I think you know. There's the stories and how the story can progress um, and branch off, and you get to access different areas. And I, I I think the decisions that you make with your party using the scales of conviction um, was a really interesting gameplay mechanic. And just top down, I wanted to kind of pick your brain about it. Uh, How did you feel? You know, I I haven't played Mass Effect, so I know you can shame me in the comments, guys. But uh, that's fine. (laughs) In terms of uh, games where you make choices and that changes the story for me personally it's more like until dawn or um like a heavy rain or something to that effect um how did you feel triangle strategy stacks up in terms of the scales of conviction mechanic and the the way the story progresses compared to other games that do similar things well like i said whenever it came to dragon age and mass effect um there would usually be um you know, like a good, a neutral, and like an evil option. Like they'd give you kind of like a three range system, just like the scales of conviction kind of is in that in that regard. And uh, the same thing with like the dialogue options. We'll get to that later, I guess. Um, so in the way, I felt like it was kind of like replicating that, but at the same time, it felt a little different because 
in certain scenes like uh, Mass Effect, like if you choose like an evil option, you just um, dispatch somebody, or if you do like a good option, you go to, you know, you try to find like a different way around it. Like it's more or less like you're shaping how you want the story to play out, similar uh, similar to Triangle Strategy. So it's kind of similar in that regard. And the way that they did like the uh, the voting system um, for for like how every how the key characters in the game would have their own little token, Serena would basically you could basically go around and entice people to uh, do your own, you know, do the thing that you wanted to do, even if they're, you know, a little, but like they're hooked onto one path that they want to go down. And it's awesome to see that. Cause it's like, okay, you know, maybe I, maybe I do want to see what this option would do instead of this option. So it's, it was a really good system. I really loved it, and like in the uh, in new, like I keep talking about New Game Plus, but that's whenever it kind of opens up because it's it kind of shows you like um, what is it like at one point like there's like three branching um, options to go down, and but they all go down. There's always going to be like uh, certain key events that always play out, and I thought that was a little disappointing. Um, like certain dialogue would change, obviously, but like certain scenes would always play out, kind of similar-ish, but you would always get to see like a different side before getting to that thing. And that always enticed me to go right back to New Game Plus and see like, okay, maybe I do want to go to S-Frost and see, you know, what what's going on over there. Why why certain things happen in the story because of, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that the exploration segments allow you to kind of gather information that you can use to better persuade party members. And, you know, I would try my hardest to persuade, say, like, uh, Frederica to, you know, do something that goes against what she really wants to do, which I always felt pretty bad about doing. Because <laughs> right. I feel like what she wants to do is mostly justified, and I totally understand where she's coming from. And I feel like I tended to kind of side with her more times than not. But... If I had something I really wanted to do and uh, I wasn't able to persuade them, personally, I just kind of went, all right, I wasn't able to persuade them. I'm going to see where this goes. And I was surprised at how much like, I wasn't bothered by having to do something I didn't necessarily want to do. As soon as we got going, I realized, like, oh, this is still going to be fun and compelling and maybe I see the merits in going down this path. It seems like... They, uh, Square Enix and Art Dink really put some thought into even if no matter what path somebody takes it's got to be interesting and it has to have the nuance that makes the player realize the merit and the path you're going down whether or not you agree with what it was predicated on um, which I think is like a tremendous feat to accomplish uh, yeah like, um, I mean, like you mentioned, like with like the exploration segments, like it actually took me forever to figure out. Like, whenever I'm talking to people, um, you know, you like you said, like when when we talk to pe- people, you get information to persuade people. Like, I didn't actually know that's actually what that was specifically for. Like, whenever because some of the early um, decisions in the game, like they're not as impactful. So whenever you're going around and talking to people, you don't really get that gist. You're just basically breaking into people's houses and taking stuff that they just leave, 
you know, in their house. I mean, <laughs> it's glowing, it's shiny. I kind of want it, you know, an extra, extra iron ore or something. That's pretty nice. But um, like, it, it wasn't until like a scene in Hyzant that I actually understood. Like, okay, I actually have to go around and talk to people and talk to this person before they let me talk to this person or go into this house and you know collect this specific thing to really see how the story is going to progress properly like it, it affects the story it's not just like a different um it's not like a different persuasion or like a uh like i said like you know failing to progress in one in one specific area in the game like you actually have to they actually make you um actually make you engage in this system and it's actually kind of nice because you remember this for like another playthrough it's like okay let me talk to everybody and get through and that's something that i haven't actually seen like yeah like like i said with like these side stories you can go around and listen to people's motivations and be like okay i i should side with this person or not side with them but it's different to engage with just like simple npcs and actually learn something to use that's actually impactful for the story itself it's creative and i've never actually seen that before same yeah no i mean i feel like the um you know you think of a game like the last of us which i'm not gonna spoil for anybody but it has its story to tell and regardless of how you feel it's gonna make you like you have to do it if you don't the story doesn't go anywhere and I think that that has its own merit, which I enjoy. I enjoy if somebody has a story to tell, tell that story, and I'm along for the ride, and I've signed up for this. You know, I, I ponied up my $60. Um, and But in terms of giving you these choices and letting you attempt to persuade people and uh, if to successfully persuade somebody always felt really good when you tried and failed it hurt a little bit it had a sting to it or just in a conversation when you would uh like throw something out there and somebody was kind of like ah i think that's a bit silly uh or uh that always kind of felt like ah god i but i personally tried not to manipulate it too much like i didn't save before i did a scale as a conviction so that if i messed something up i could go back and try again i just was like I've explored this area thoroughly. I think I have all the information. I'm going to take my best stab at it. And where whatever happens, happens. Yeah, like with the dialogue, dialogue options, like you said, like whenever you're persuading people, it doesn't actually say like, oh, this is the most effective or this is the least effective. Like you actually have to think about it. You actually have to like look at it and be like, okay, does this actually sound like it's compelling to my argument or is this playing to their argument or to somebody else's argument that they're going to disagree with. And I actually love that I actually had to pay attention to the, like the, the dialogue itself. Like I can just pick, it's like a mass effect. Like I said, like um, whenever it comes to the evil or the good options, it's always like a blue or a red option with like a little gray in the middle, basically. But it, to basically tell you like, okay, this is what path you're going to go down. But in triangle strategy, like you actually have to pay attention and be like, okay, I actually have to think like, is this like, like, is this going to work for my first part of the argument? And then when, and then sometimes <laughs> they would talk back to you and be like, okay, like I see, I see where you're going with this, but like, is there anything more to your argument before we 
going to stop talking, and they and they have you do that again, and it's just. Oh, yeah. I loved it. I never yeah. thought talking to an NPC would be that engaging. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's why like I think what they've done with triangle strategy is so special because they've they found a way to not only connect the story with the gameplay and like a surface level kind of way they went super deep and created moments that i actually like i know they call it the scales of conviction but it felt like it was challenging me in my own like morals like i was like wondering like what what actually means more to me freedom liberty or utility you know and it's it's a really special game in that regard um in terms of the soundtrack uh i think this you know it's not something that i'm gonna like you know it's not like a hotline miami where like i might play it in the car or anything but in terms of playing the game it had this like um like i said in my review you could close your eyes and you know where you are and you know who you're focusing on based on the music uh what what were your big takeaways from the the voice acting and the audio and all that? Okay, so starting with the soundtrack first, like uh, whenever you said like you know you're not really gonna listen to it like you know you're see like what is the hotline man I mean, like going down the road like I don't do that specifically, but I do actually sometimes while I'm working and doing like a you know mundane task at work, I actually just put on like one of the like extended versions of like some of the combat themes like uh one one that specifically plays during uh okay so you, you talked about the ship so i know exactly which option you chose whenever you're on the bridge and you're fighting the uh frederica's siblings like um that's like uh halfway through the battle like it changes to like this um was like uh guitar and orchestra kind of like you know mixed together kind of thing and it's actually it's intense it's amazing i actually loved i actually loved like uh even in like uh some of the like uh what's it the cave area like there's like this one little it's like a very somber tune and then whenever you're doing like the combat thing it starts changing to a much more intense thing and it's like they, they ramp up the music they create like this special little feel and vibe to it and it executes perfectly because of the context of the story and who is it being played specifically for. Like you can actually tell, like it, this being played for Frederica or for Roland or for <sighs> blanking on some of the names. I'm sorry, but like they, <laughs> like they did a lot of work with just the soundtrack alone that it makes every single scene more powerful. Um, for the voice acting, though, it's. It was good. I didn't think it was fantastic, though. Um, I'm not going to insult any of the voice actors. Like, I can't. I can't imagine what it was like to voice act during a pandemic. Like, what kind of setup they have to do in their own house because they couldn't go out to a studio or even fly at one point. But um, some of the some like some of the voice acting specifically uh, characters like uh, Gila, for instance, uh, Frederica's. Uh, I think it's her tutor. Um, <laughs> she always sounded low to me like very very low like she was like mumbling a little bit like this you know like it felt like she was just not near her microphone or she was just speaking very softly and like 
she delivered her lines well, but it felt like it felt like they could have been like, "Hey, could you speak up a little bit more and just redo this line?" You know, just give a little bit more into it. And um, well, somebody like uh, Cordelia, for instance, I'm not going to insult that person specifically because I don't <laughs> like like you know who I'm talking about. It, it's just the way that she sounded. I, like I could tell it was a female's voice, but the way that she was performing it made her sound like it was a guy doing their best female like voice impression. Like again, I don't want to sound insulting, but it was just kind of like it was off-putting listening to that person. Like to the point where I actually did want to fast forward, but I couldn't because I did kind of want to see what some of these you know interactions were with her. And I think she's a wonderful character. Like she really is. It's just the voice acting kind of fails her a little bit. And then there's awesome voice actors like Tregan, who at one point gets drunk, and I swear you could hear these <laughs> that, the sheer happiness of that man drinking while he's, you know, voice acting because he actually does like he. I would be shocked if he was actually sober doing that. Those yeah. lines. He sounded wasted. Yeah, he he, he perfectly emulated. Yeah. He's amazing. He he was deliciously drunk. Like he was having exactly. a great time, was sauced up, and in terms of Cordelia, I know exactly what you mean. It was very anime, and it it had that feeling of like, you know, when you're in your car and you're listening to maybe like a guilty pleasure, and you've got the windows down, and you you pull up to a stoplight, and you're like, maybe I turn this one down well, until or we just, get moving or just, again, or just rope the windows, whatever. Just just make sure nobody looks at me like, what are you even listening to, dude? Yes, yeah. <laughs> I had a couple of moments where she would be talking or just emoting, like uh, expressing like anguish in a moment. And I was like, man, I hope no one else in the house. Here's, here's this. <laughs> here's this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. And I, I highlighted it in my review. Like I was like, I'm not going to knock the game for the, the quality of the recordings of the voice acting. Cause I think it would, you know, people were probably recording in their closet and then sometimes being like, I'm going to record, I don't have time to set up in my closet. I'm just going to record at my desk. And you could hear the room around it, or, you know, maybe they changed mics or something happened or, you know, it, it, for all I know, it could be a mixing issue. Like some lines may have been punched in at the last minute and they didn't mix them properly. Cause I noticed in one conversation, Roland was talking it, went over to somebody else and came back to Roland and it sounded like he was back here talking instead of right here on the mic. And so I didn't know if they punched in that line after the fact, or maybe he had to, they were like, Hey, you're going to have to re-record that. And he was like, I don't have the same mic. I'm not. And they were like, just do whatever you've got, you know, use your iPhone microphone, just put it close to you or something and we'll figure it out. Um, Yeah. But like I said, like, like I said, it was good. It was never, like, none of the voice acting was, you know, especially bad. Like, none of it made me be like, okay, I'm just going to switch to the Japanese voice acting because I know that they're going to be better. Sorry, better. Because um, I usually do that in, like, most of the JRPGs I played. I did that for Dragon Quest Eleven. I didn't do that for Yakuza Like a Dragon. I did that for Octopath Traveler. I, did, I, I do that for, like, a lot of JRPGs because it just feels like the English voice actors just aren't giving it their all. But there's just something about Triangle Strategy's English voice acting that just kind of worked to the point where even with some of the faults, like, you know, Cordelia and Gila just being a little bit low in that regard, 
everything like Dragan, Sarah Noah, Roland, uh, Benedict, everybody like that, like their voice acting made me want to keep listening, even if you know I kind of hated some of the voice acting. I wanted to just keep listening to their to their performances because they kept they just killed it. Like it was yeah. wonderful. I, ne- I never wanted to change back. Yeah, I just yeah. Benedict in particular has the, like that very measured, matter of fact kind of like gravelly uh, and authoritative. I loved him. Yes, but that it's well. I don't want to. I, I don't want to get into it right now because I don't want to spoil anything. Um, but uh, before we move on to spoilers, I think we should probably just uh, highlight that in terms of anybody that's listening to this that hasn't played the game, uh, the performance that like you know there are some frame rate fluctuations, but outside of that, I I didn't experience anything game breaking. Never lost a save i think one time i was running late for work and i had to just like quit out of the game and rely on my auto save and it worked like it it even gave me like a little bit of a recap not like exactly but like it went back maybe to like a conversation that i was like in the middle of that when i backed out it started me at the beginning so i got to kind of catch back up and go okay yeah that's what was going on all right we're off to the races could you Um, not just um as a press like uh, the home button on the Joy-Con and just kind of go to like the power down because they do kind of like it does kind of like uh, it does suspend the game if you go from like if it just like uh, press the the home button and, and like goes to the you know main menu of your Switch like it should just like suspend it so I don't know like did did you have to free up the Switch for somebody else or was it just kind of no I was uh, I was going to work. Because I, I I had this idea of like oh I could put I could maybe squeeze in a little bit of triangle strategy before work and I got caught up in like a forty five minute fight that I won and then it immediately went into story and didn't oh, okay. go out to the world map for me to save and so I was like I trying to get through it and uh and I didn't want the game clock to keep running I didn't know if it would or not but I was like I. You know, I beat the game in about 36 hours, a little over that. And uh, I know a lot of that was like, I mean, I took like 20 pages of notes oh while gosh. playing this game. And uh, so a lot of times, you know, like I have this collapsible table that I'll like fold out and sit in front of my TV and I just pull up my chair up to it. And I have like a cup of coffee, my notes, my phone's there. And I just play and anytime I think of something, or something cool happens because you know I'm doing the video, so I give myself timestamps, um, so that when I need to refer back to something later, I can jot that down, and that takes up enough time where I go, okay, maybe maybe like two hours of this play time was me taking notes in the midst of everything, and uh, so I didn't want to skew my uh, my game time. I got you. I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I didn't think I was going to divulge from the. Uh, performance <laughs> thing but um on my end though like uh aside from like uh how i joked about sarah noah's little you know pixel art legs like sprinting across like an entire field in like a couple seconds that kind of looked a little goofy to me but it was just like eh, it's fine it serves the gameplay whatever um i did notice some uh, frame rate fluctuations like uh whenever you go into a battle like whenever it says like the uh the battle begins uh thing like it never that never looked right to me at all like it never did like it didn't feel it wasn't like choppy it wasn't like freezing or anything like that but it just felt 
recorded at a very low frame rate in accordance to everything else. It just looked a little off to me. But um, during one section, there's um, there's just stuff that involves fire, and I noticed like whenever I did something specific, the whatever the fire was on was on the screen or whatever it tanked the frame rate to like one or two frames a second like it got that bad to the point where i just i had to like just set my joy cons on the table i had to just you know let it burn like i had to just let it like you know die out before i continued playing because it just got that bad like i, I couldn't turn away from it either like it was on the screen for that long and it was just like man that's just wow but that's the only but that was like the only time that i ever like truly noticed like an actual like you know frame rate problem that would affect playing the game like that's the only time i've ever actually had to like put the thing down and just let it play out it just and is that like when you're using like a like a move of like frederica's like using scorch or something uh no um it's kind of spoilerish, but there's this one thing whenever you have to have to start like uh we have to like um the game will enable you to start a fire on like a house basically like that's all i'm gonna leave it out because i don't want to spoil it okay because it's uh, yeah i think i know what you're Especially, talking about yeah like if you know what i'm talking about then yeah that, that's what i'm talking about like it's okay yeah whenever that stuff happens it is so bad like <laughs> like, like like whenever i said um like i couldn't turn away it's like even whenever I turned the camera away to where it wasn't on the screen anymore, it was just affecting the game itself to the point where it was still, you know, being that bad in a frame rate. Like I literally just had to, you know, pan it back and then just watch it burn. Yeah. <laughs> it was awful. Yeah. That was, t- right, that was the only one though. Yeah. Okay. I tweeted today about, um, how, you know, we all look at those NVIDIA leaks and go, wow, almost everything that's come out of these NVIDIA leaks has been true in time. And yeah. the Switch Pro was mentioned in the NVIDIA leaks. I hope so. Yeah, and I hope that a game like Triangle Strategy, you could just pop the card in and it'll play in those, the victory animation or a battle begins. Be smooth for well, once. Yes, yeah. please. Because, <laughs> yeah, it did feel like it was an overlay over top of what was happening so it was rendering that and then this overlay was coming up that had to play out and the system was having a hard time handling both at the same time yeah uh because i doubt that they put in like a 24 frames per second animation uh i'm sure it was meant to be 30 yeah i hope not yeah but um i don't know some of square's decisions lately are kind of a little highbrow like excuse me yeah um but with that i think we can go ahead and dive into the spoiler section of our conversation so um anybody that's trying to avoid spoilers will see you when you go beat the game and come back hopefully you will um but yeah we are officially moving into spoilers before we do that is there anything you wanted to end on in terms of review discussion uh not really like whenever it comes down to it like the the game is very good. Like, if you can find a Walmart for fifty bucks, definitely pick it up. Even if it's like sixty, just, just, yeah. just give it a plunge. Like, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't want to do this, but at the same time, I, I purchased this for a questionable amount of money on on eBay. Like, this is the collector's edition, so. Um, oh, cool. We'll get into that, but it's like the <laughs> game is that good where I'm willing to go out of my way to find somebody that's 
definitely looking for a payday and getting a game getting like an extra copy of the game like i don't mind it yeah it's it was worth that much money to me like to the standard viewer like definitely 50 bucks even if it's like 60 just just definitely give it a shot it's worth it and it does have a uh, demo as well like you can try the first three chapters of the game and it will give you a few combat scenarios it won't be like the I won't give you a lot of the experience, but it'll give you just enough, you know? Yeah. And your save carries over. Exactly. Um, you know, and it's funny because I played the demo and walked away from it like, okay, I see what's going on. Eh. And I just like tabled it, but then returned to it. And like I said, I'm so glad that I did. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I've got my copy right here. I'm proud to own this. Oh, yeah. I, it's, kind of, it's got such a weird name, but it's such a good game, though. <laughs> yeah, it. I it is a hard five out of five, I think. Oh yeah. Even despite the performance stuff, there's oodles of replayability in it. Um, the story is great. Gameplay is so enticing and compelling and engaging. Uh, I, I would. Take it from me, somebody that hasn't played a tactics game like this outside of briefly dabbling in Path of Radiance when I was a child and it being too difficult for me and not finishing it, um, this game completely caught me off guard and uh, I would suggest anyone play it. But now we are properly going to transition into spoilers. Um, So... In terms of the story, uh, I figure we can start there. I think, you know, I don't even know where to start exactly outside of what do you, like, um, there's the first section of the game where you build up. I think the first, like, hard decision you have to make is in Chapter 3, where you either go to Hyzant or S-Frost. and. Yeah. I'm guessing based on our conversation earlier, you went to Hyzant. Yeah, so for the first game so for the first playthrough I went to Hyzant. And that's because I did want to see like um because I noticed with the dialogue it said something about uh how Frederica's kind the Roselle, they were basically being oppressed by them, so I was like, Okay, I kinda wanna see what this is about. Like obviously they didn't show that stuff until later, but I still got a decent I got a decent gathering from basically exploring that small little pocket of the town going into the uh what would you call it a lab or something like that yeah i I can't remember can't remember exactly what they called it um where they were doing the research yeah like the, the ministry ministry like whenever you go into the ministry like i got just enough info to know like okay these people are very sketchy and i was glad to know that ahead of time because as the game goes forward, it start Hyzant become Hyzant seems like a side um, faction at the very beginning of the game, but they're not. Like they are a very, very powerful, very intimidating force. That whenever the war breaks out, they start to slowly, uh, they slowly start to get their tendrils into Norzelia a little bit more and more and more because they have that much power due to their salt. Like it's. It was awesome. It was actually great to see because I was just like, if if they show me all of this stuff, if they build up this much ten, if they build up this much um, excitement for 
this faction of the world and they barely do anything with it, I was going to be very disappointed. And they didn't. And I was so happy to see everything that they did with it. It was amazing. Yeah. But um and then with the second uh playthrough, like have you gone to S Frost yet? Uh, I have not, no. Okay, so I'll try to keep it as spoiler free for you. <laughs> <laughs> the cast, I gotta keep no, a little spoiler. You, you, at this point, you can you can do it. I'm interested to know what happens uh, if okay. I go that way. Okay, so in Esfros, like it really shows like a very oh God, what would I call it? It's a very down on its luck nation. Like whenever you hear all of, like the little stuff about Esfros playing the game, like they always paint it as like this very strong you know, forced to be reckoned with. But whenever you're in the town, there are people who are committing literal crimes and actually killing people just for salt. Hmm. It's that ba- like, it, like obviously that's because of Hyzant and how much they charge and you know, their whole taxation thing, but it's very, but it was very good to just like have that little peek behind the curtain and talk a little bit to, uh, you know, Gustadolf. Uh, I think Thalys and Erica weren't, I don't think they were, in that section but um whatever you're making whatever you go to one or the other like you always get like a specific character and i feel like the one that you get in s frost is more useful than the person you get in hyzant it's just okay. because in the harder sections of the game you actually start to appreciate just how far an archer can shoot and like stay like they could stay away from like all the enemy attacks and still take like one shot at somebody in the beginning like it's very it's very useful in that degree. And I just look, but um, in terms of story though, seeing both of those, I would say S Frost was a much better decision to make instead of Hyzant, even though if you go, if you understand Hyzant a little bit better, you can understand that, yeah, these people are going to stab me in the back first chance they get. <laughs> yeah. Which I guess both did. So, yeah. So, yes, if you, if you go to Hyzant, at that split, there's two different characters that can join your party. There's if you go to Heisen, it's uh, Corentin Jenner. Uh, he's studying in the ministry, and it's kind of like a somebody that like uh, isn't necessarily cast out, but like wants to join the party and leave, and he doesn't like the teachings anymore, and wants to learn more, and feels very limited. And then uh, Rudolf Mueller is the archer that you uh, that joins your party in S-Frost. And uh, yeah, I didn't get to play him at all, but I loved the archers. Like, Huet yeah. and Archibald are... I, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but the battle on the bridge, uh, where there's those two perches... That if if you get your archers to the top, I, basically what I did is I put Huet and Archibald up there, and then used Anna, who is a god tier character, uh, just being able to like get behind somebody, stab them, and then take cover and be invisible. And I got a funny story for that later too. <laughs> okay, um, yeah. So you know, I think there's there's. The weird duality at that point where you're making that choice to go to Hyzant um, to so that you're, you know, Sarah Noah is engaged to Frederica S. Frost, and she is of Rosellen descent, has the pink hair, and Rosellens are uh, disparaged in this nation and enslaved 
and Hyzant and you know Lord Simon, who is uh, Lord Saranoa's father, helped up take in a bunch of refugees, uh, Rosellen refugees, and they they have their own village inside Glenbrook. Uh, where they can live freely and you know they're kind of living in secret there even though i feel like most people know they're there but they're under the protection of glenbrook and if you were to attack them it would probably spring out a whole new war but yeah um frederica has been living in Esfrost because her mother escaped Hyzant and went uh and spent time and ended up uh you know, getting pretty, uh, I mean, she wrote books and there's, she talk about a fascinating character that you never get to see. Uh, what, what's her name? Orlea? I forget. Yeah. Yeah. She, I mean, they could do a whole side story, like a prequel of all of that. And I would day one buy that. Um, but yeah, you, you go to high so that you can, basically so frederica can learn more about her people and i think i forget what the reason is for going to s frost outside of maybe because they're kind of on the attack at that point uh so i think this was before like the war broke out in this in this story so i think it was more or less so saranoa could actually you know see gustadolf and actually get to know him like, I don't think Gustav ever, like, uh, what was it? There was, like, this, uh, festi- like, there's, like, this, uh, festival going on or something like that, like, the okay. second chapter. I don't think he actually yeah. personally went to that, so I think it was just, like, an information gather to, you know, C.S. Frost, meet, you know, Lord Gustav, which we'll talk to, we'll, we'll talk about later, like, he's, he's one of my favorite characters, I love him. And, uh, for Hyzant, like, yeah, it's to, it's the kind of it's to kind of learn like where the oppression came from for the Rizellan and in a smart way of writing it, like they actually did kind of show without Saranoa and Frederica realizing it. Cause during that, um, before they left Hyzant to go into chapter four, they actually said like, you know, we're no closer to understanding why Hyzant was, you know, so brutal to my people, even though, the stuff that you see in that town is exactly what kind of happened. Like it's an opposition of ideology that makes that entire city turn on you and either kill you or enslave you. Like it's a very brutal thing. And I won't say that they were oblivious, but they wanted to see something that was specifically, you know, catered towards Rosellen. But I, I loved how they just, it was a, it was a clever bit of foreshadowing and I loved it. Yeah. And, and them touting equality as this thing where everybody but the Roselle is living a great life under the goddess of exactly. Hyzant. You obeying. have freedom. We, you get taken care of, but you just can't say this, this, or this. And yeah, it reminds me of today's world, but hey, we're not going to get into that. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to dive too much into that, but I think <laughs> that's one thing that this game, I think really does well is, you know, it's like art imitates life or is it vice versa? I don't know. But the, the, the thought put into the nuance of all of these decisions and going down these pathways. And cause you know, eventually 
depending on the choices you make, you either, you know this about Hyzant, that they, because they're threatened by the goddess's actual teachings, they've altered them or, or at least communicating them in a way that makes the salt that they have seem so unique and precious to them. And just the act of the Roselle knowing that salt is all over the earth. It's not just in this, you know, they show, they show it like a body of water, which makes me think that like all of the world's water in terms of like the oceans has shrunk to just this portion of the world. And then yeah. this, the salt is like, like in the Himalayas, like uh, the like rock salt that's like out in the world spread throughout. I, that's kind of the, what I feel like they were going for is like the water had shrunk and they were using some kind of science to like desalination to get the salt out of the water. And that's what the Roselle were tasked with doing. Yeah. Um, um, what, um, which ending did you get for, for your playthrough? If I can Oh ask. yeah, no, totally. Um, so I ended up teaming up with S frost and attacking the Roselle or not the Roselle, oh my god, attacking yeah, Hyzant. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> and uh, fighting the, um, what do they call it, the uh, the automaton that is the Hierophant, yeah. which was super cool. I loved that reveal. Like, I'm not going to lie, I actually liked that. I liked how they, how they basically made it so this person was speaking, even though it wasn't, it was just that one person orchestrating yeah, the Edor. entire... Yeah, Edor was just, and like I said, some of the names are blanking on me. I really should have played the game again before talking about this stuff. I'm sorry. Hey, but, no, um, you're okay. I'm circling back to it so late. <laughs> you reviewed this but, um, two months ago. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. But um, like the fact that they had somebody that was just like um orchestrating like this entire like just kind of orchestrating how bad this world's been messed up by the whole salt trade, the slavery, the brutality just by basically him wanting to have all this power but want to blame it on somebody else basically like yeah. you know it, no it's the hair it's the hierophant behind the curtain saying it all not me like you know, that that kind of lunacy the ending that i got um it actually talked about the fact that the that orzelia itself was actually underwater at one point like the entire land was basically like buried underwater and at one point there was i think it was like i can't remember what god it was but it was basically like their god that basically like lifted the uh, land into the ocean and then there was this entire different uh nation outside of norzelia itself that you, you were actually going out and seeking i won't say what happens during that ending but that's just kind of one of the revelations and it kind of spoke it, it was kind of true in that regard because um near the ending of the game you get to see that you know in the cave that dragan died uh you know because he was trying to gain power by having control over what was in that in that deposit it was salt it was something that could literally threaten Hyzant's entire you know power and i actually loved actually loved how far they went just on the world building itself like how the world even came to be the way that it was mm -hmm. just by letting you experience these endings like 
granted, these were the only two. I, I experienced the ending that you got to. I didn't experience the third one yet, the one when you sided with a high sand, because I just don't think I can be in a sound mind, even when, even if it's just to experience it in the game. I don't think yeah. I can do that. Yeah, yeah. I was forced because I didn't have the information to persuade everyone. Oh. I, I tried to persuade everyone to free the Roselle, to take the opportunity and go with Frederica's plan is what I was trying to do. But we ended up going with Benedict's. And I, I don't see, outside of a morbid curiosity, going with Roland's plan to yeah. give everyone up to Hyzant and just go, yeah, some people... There's I understand his argument of that there's always going to be haves and have-nots. At least we know that everyone but the Roselle will prosper. And... As much as I'm like personally like, nah, I can't get down with that dude. Uh, I, I, I can play devil's advocate in my brain enough to go. I see where you're coming from, but no, you know, and yeah. and especially like I tried to put myself in Sarah Noah's shoes as much as possible, and even though the arrangement of his wedding with Frederica is kind of like a, a fake like peace offering almost thing that luckily Frederica and Sarah Noah do like each other um, even though I, I kind of went back and forth sometimes I was like man Roland and Frederica seem to align on more things but then later in the game I think when Roland kind of starts to the weight of everything that's on him starts to shake his foundation. That, that man lost so much in a short amount of time span. Everything. Like, yeah. Like he lost his kingdom, his dad, his brother, and Gustav literally married his sister. So it's just like, how much more can this guy take? <laughs> yeah. He, he is for sure a victim of circumstance and everything that that's happens why, to him. That's why he was weak. Like, and that's why it kind of hurt me to um, side with, like, whenever you side with um, Benedict, and it's basically, like, at that very end, like, you actually have, I mean, I, I really wish it was an actual fight and not a cutscene fight, but I understand why they did it like that. But the fact that they made you either fight Benedict, Roland, or Frederica, depending on the choices you make, because I imagine, like, if you Ooh. side with, like, like if, you, if you side with Hyzan, I think you know, because you would basically be, you know, siding with the people that enslaved her people. Like, I'm pretty sure she would fight you. That's just my, that's just what I was gaining from that. I haven't actually experienced anything yet. I really should at this point, but the fact that they, that they have the characters actually fight because it's such a crucial decision. It is, it's something that I was just kind of like, oh no, don't make me do this. Don't 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 make me watch this. I love these people. Don't make me fight against them. And that's, yeah, and that's hard to do. Like it's hard to make characters that you really love that you could still disagree with and that you never really want to get rid of because you lose Roland, you can lose Benedict, or as I presume, you could lose Frederica. And I can't imagine. And just from a pure gameplay standpoint, I can't imagine not having someone like Frederica because her spells are. She she's powerful. <laughs> I love that. Frederica's the goat. <laughs> yeah. Like when Sarah Noah died, 
and not like not in story wise, yeah, yeah. but died in gameplay sense. I was like, all right, well, I got Frederica, so it's all good. Uh, yeah. But I mean, don't get me wrong. Hawk dive is a great move, and I I loved being able to expand its range to be able to hit because like later on, there's like some barriers that you can hit people through that if they're far enough away or you position yourself right, they can't hit you, which was yeah. awesome. But no, that, yeah, you know, going with Benedict's choice and having that fight with Roland and Sarah Noah deciding to not strike him down in front of everybody and Roland kind of packing his bags and telling Huet, like, your job is to protect Sarah Noah now. Like, you don't have to protect me. Um, and it's talk about a great character. I loved Huet. Huet was yeah. awesome. Uh, she she's an unsung hero even in like the um like a lot of the side stories that you, that they make you do like um not like the ones that you find on the map like the ones that you i think it's press the plus button and then you get to experience like different stories um as you go through and you strengthen your convictions you get to see more of it and you actually start to see a softer side to you bet like she's not like a completely you know battle-hardened person that's just completely loyal like she actually is soft wants to have fun but she really can't considering her position and at one point like she even starts you know thinking about the fact that she might actually have like uh feelings for rowan but she can't really complicate stuff like that because it's because of her role as uh the king's guard so yeah it every characteristic like even benedict like everything that he had to go through and see and bow to like you understand like he's being very manipulative like i understand like that's not it's not exactly a great character trait but the reasons why he's like that like even he laments about the fact that he has to act as brutal as he does because he just wants to fulfill his vow to sarah uh, mother so yeah he reminded me of snape from harry potter yeah and that's actually a good that's actually a good comparison. I like that. Yeah, he clearly loved Saranoa's mother and promised to protect her child no matter what. And he was hell bent on making sure that that he lived to his fullest potential. And despite kind of being like, I'm gonna make this kid the king of Norzelia, uh is everything okay? Sorry, there's just something outside. Sorry, uh, my bad. Continue, my hey, bad. No, you are okay. I just wanted to make sure like somebody wasn't calling you and you had to get up and do something. But uh, yeah, I, I just think that, you know, Benedict. I, the whole time, I thought his name was like a uh, like a giveaway, like some foreshadowing that he was going to betray us at some point. Um, yeah, and to play through the game and knowing his motivations and everything. I think even though he was manipulating a lot of stuff behind the scenes, he was doing so with good intentions. And I know people say the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I think yeah. he managed to successfully live up to his promise or, you know, the, the vow that he put in place and, you know, he looked at things very objectively and I think they 
looking at things objectively is always going to come across as cold to somebody. And yeah. he, he was just willing to play the, you know, he's a strategist. So he's looking for what's, whatever is the most important. How do we get that to be the end goal? Like, how do we ensure that that end goal is, is seen to fruition? And, you know, I, when it came to the, the very end where you had to make that pretty monumental decision, uh, I'm glad that the party didn't side with Roland. I'll I'll put it that way. Yeah. You know, if I couldn't get the Rosellen ending or you know the Frederica ending, I'm glad I, that my party at least decided to go with Benedict. Because uh, yeah, I just I couldn't uh, I couldn't go down the other road. I mean, I would out of morbid curiosity, but uh, yeah, yeah, I seriously disagreed with it. Um, yeah, it's just just a stupid decision yeah but um i just but, but like i said even with like the characters that you love i actually liked some of the characters that i hated if that makes any sense um characters like gustadolf for instance like it's weird to like a villain it really is because it's like you don't because you don't want to sound a little bit weird like oh my god i love what he's doing but at the same time it's like how could you not love a man that could literally see an opportunity to start a war, go all the way through with it, be the most brutal person you could ever see, add so much insult to injury, and then just basically walk away from it for a little bit. Like, it's... You just don't see that in a lot of games. You really don't. Yeah, uh, making a villain that is charismatic and kind of in a weird not isn't like winning you over necessarily but you know i think of like um like uh like the actor christoph waltz he manages yeah. to play villains or like unsavory characters in a way where you're so charmed by them that you're kind of like dude i'm, I'm trying to hate you dude like come on or, or someone like john carlo either one yeah yeah and he uh I think at the end, teaming up with S. Frost, where he kind of sees, like, okay, I've lost. I'm down on my luck. And if I, I'm going to hear you out on what your plan is for peace and ensuring that everyone has salt and everyone can prosper and everyone can continue to live how they want to live in terms of their, the culture of their nation or their you know, kingdom. Um, I thought that him seeing it that way and kind of going, you know what? I, I stand with you, with you guys. Let's, let's do this was, I, I think he's a ruler that is, was really trying to look out for his people and get out from underneath the thumb of Hyzant. And if that meant taking down Glenbrook in the process, it was just his way of ensuring that his people weren't fighting in the streets over salt, I'm guessing, you know? Yep. And exactly. so, but that's the nuance of this game that's so interesting is I think immediately you start playing and you, you look at S-Frost as almost like a, like they're the big bad. If, if that's yeah. what it feels like and as you continue to progress through the game, you start to realize, no, it's really Hyzant. 
Like, yeah, they're the the people that are or the nation that are. Their the their government, the saintly seven, are corrupt. They know the truth and they're lying to their people and they're enslaving an entire race of people to serve that lie. And I don't think really, I don't think S frost is doing anything near as bad as that. Yeah. I mean, I didn't go there, so I don't know for sure, but maybe you can enlighten me on that. If, if they are doing something as unsavory as that. That's basically just what you said. Like, obviously um, they're making that, they made the death snell too. And like, you could tell like that was just going to be like a primary weapon of war for them. Like, I don't think it was specifically designed for Hyzant. I think, I think they stated that it was to like kind of penetrate like, you know, shields like that, but it was just like, you know, if anybody comes to invade us, we at least have, you know, one kind of weapon that we can actually fire to do it. So it's like, they were making stuff that was more or less protective, but they saw an opportunity to strike back if they if they felt threatened, basically. Like, whenever Dragan basically threatened them by basically saying, like, you know, if you don't make me... Oh God. I'm blanking on the on the role that he wanted. I'm sorry. Um, Who is it? Dragan I, wanted to be oh, Dragan. Prime Minister. Dragan, Prime Minister. Yeah. There we go. Um, yeah. He wanted to be the Prime Minister of Esfrost. So whenever he had the salt in his hands basically he basically sent a message saying hey you know promote me to prime minister and i will you know give the salt to esfrost and with that you actually have a much stronger position of power like you could actually challenge hyzant while looking savory to um to glenbrook but he also stupidly kind of said like okay if you know if you don't i'm going to give it to glenbrook instead and he basically took that as a sign of treason like oh so you're being enticed by another nation so i can invade this country and he did it and during that scene the like the entire party was there as well so they he could actually blame the entire murder on them as well and take that as another sign to justify their invasion yeah like it was it's amazing to see just how like, if you just pay attention to, like, the writing and everything like that, like, you get to see how far they go into people's minds. Like, in New Game Plus, or, well, not, not even New Game Plus, just, like, the regular dialogue, whenever you're just playing as Sarah Noah and just having normal conversations with people, the 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 conversations that you would have, like, you know, the three dialogue options, they would let you see what Sarah Noah is thinking in, in those specific times, like, the, the one I like to call back to is whenever he first meets Frederica, like she asks him, like, you know, what does my pink hair mean to you? And you can either do like a romantic thing, a thing of logic or a thing of, um, God, I can't, I can't remember the other one, but it's just the fact that you get to see three different options that are fully written out. And there's three different reactions to it. You get to see into people's minds and how they, and how they're affected by certain bits of dialogue. Yeah. gotta love the story of triangle strategy <laughs> yeah i i remember that specific question that she asks you and i i remember i said something like i think it's beautiful but what i find more appeal or like what what's more interesting to me is your prowess on the battlefield and you know i i think like if you sat and really dissected every single one of those options you could probably find like a its merit and its downside uh but i think that just 
that example right there highlights what's so great about triangle strategy is that every decision has its merit and every decision has its downside, except maybe giving the people to a high zant. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, it depends on the person though. Like we're not going to, yeah. we're not going to shame anybody that has certain yeah. problems. But, uh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I know that they're just sprites at the end of the day and, uh, yeah, but, but the, they're excellently written sprites. I'll give them that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so in terms of gameplay, I figured let's start with the scales of conviction and the moments where um, you're trying to persuade people or using the exploration moments to gather information. I think that there's some really poignant moments. There's like the, the earlier ones that are just kind of training you that don't feel like they carry that much weight. But the moments like when you're in the Rosellen village and you're looking for the hidden items throughout and not finding everything you need to be able to persuade. Um, or because I guess it's not a scale of convictions moment, but you're trying to find items that something is the key that if you like show it to the elder of the Rosellen village, you get to progress the first time. I didn't find the, um, I didn't realize, yeah, I didn't realize that, like, I thought if I talked to somebody and walked away, there was no merit in circling back and talking to that same person. Yeah. And. But they changed your mind on that. Yeah. yeah. Like in that specific scene, like, I know we've talked about this a, a lot in the like earlier in the podcast, but it was just like, it's, it's a scene where basically like if you don't understand the game mechanic you're not going to be able to progress like it'll keep giving you a game over screen you have to learn that okay i need to talk to this person because they're going to tell me that you know if there's you know there's always some there, there's some there's something that they believe is in you know the elder's room but you'd have to talk to somebody to get them away from that so then you talk to frederica to lure the elder out you go into the house and then you find it. But if you don't do all of that, all you're going to see is the elder. He's not going, he's not going to give up a secret like that, obviously yeah. considering how much weight it carried. But, um, for the skills conviction though, um, the, I just, I don't know. I just love the fact that you could actually go around and just talk to as many people as possible and just basically, you know, persuade them in that degree. Like it's, going around in the exploration segment, finding little bits of information. And then you see like this little, this little dialogue option unlock. And I thought that that was like something that would only be like, okay, if I made this decision earlier, this dialogue option would open depending on that. It's like, no, you actually have to take advantage of the exploration segments. And I don't think, I don't know if they properly convey that to you. I don't think they, I think they leave it for you to kind of figure out. Um, which I think some people could look at as being like obtuse game design. Um, right. But I, to a certain degree, I think that it speaks to the design, like maybe like the mission statement of the design to set out respecting the intelligence of the player enough to appreciate the nuance of what the story is doing 
And that also bleeds into the gameplay of like, because I thought those exploration segments, I was like, oh, okay, this feels a bit shallow. There's not really a lot going on. You're kind of just talking to people. And then slowly I realized, like, hold on, there's a depth to this that is deceivingly, like, it seems surface level. But as soon as, like, you, I feel like as the game progressed, it slowly hammered home the importance and like of those moments and there's nothing worse than talking to a character and seeing one of the options is locked and you clearly didn't find whatever was going to unlock that and kind of being like oh wow like why why is that and you know yeah you probably lose out on some opportunities because of that but i think as long as you're not playing to like follow a path or see everything or and do everything. If like your first playthrough, you just kind of go and whatever happens, happens. I know that's how I played the game and I found the game to be great, even though I wasn't trying to uncover everything and just whatever I found, I found and whatever options I had, I picked the best of those. Um, I, 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 yeah. I oh, sorry. And- Whenever those um whenever those segments come in, like whenever you see like a thing is locked, like it's worth noting that you can't go back once you start a conversation that has those kinds of elements to it. Like you are stuck making those decisions and I'm pretty sure both of those other decisions don't really um persuade the person as much as that third option would have. Mm-hmm. Like, um I don't know if this was in your playthrough, but um there's a moment in oh god i'm trying to remember <laughs> you're in high Zant and you actually have to do some investigating you need to be able to uh basically um uncover some corruption to paint one of the one of the saintly seven into this uh into this corner to basically save your skin because you're base because if you don't you're basically dead like i think that was gonna be another game over segment yeah so you have to go around the town i was gonna say you're you're looking for evidence that proves that sorslay's hiding salt and dealing it on the side yeah 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 and it's just as more of those came up i was just like wow i know i i didn't know literally walking around in an exploration segment was ever going to be that much fun like mm-hmm. being able to actually just like, okay, so I'm learning this. I got to talk to this person, but then I, then after that, this go this unlocks over here. So I got to talk to that person. It's just, it's it's deep. Yeah. It, it, that, that's basically the basic way to say it. So yeah, that was. I feel like the the turning point where I realized that there's merit to speaking with somebody, and if you're paying attention and they say something, to circle back because in that moment I talked to the merchant. And it, the merchant mentions like, "Hey, I'm closing up shop for the day. Like, I don't really have a, I don't have time to sell my wares." But then you talk to the guard at the top of the area, and he says like, "Oh, we could send a message for you to so and so, but we don't have a pencil." But then if you go back and talk to the merchant, he's like, "Oh, well, here's a pencil. You could just have it." And then you can go back and send the message, and that's a piece of evidence, or not a piece of evidence, but it's. Like something that is going to make sure that like reinforcements arrive or you've, yeah. you, I think what is happening there is you're 
proving that you understand the order of like operations inside of the nation to send off that like courtesy of like, hey, I think like we're going to bring this to you. Here's uh, I'm sending this to you. So I'm not just walking in and like slamming something on your desk and being like, we have to do something about this now. It was like kind of like a courtesy message to a leader, if I remember correctly. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, no, the, those segments, the, the the way the exploration and the scales of conviction tie together and really shape where the story goes is super interesting. And I still can't believe that. I mean, it's so tightly connected that you can get that game over if you don't find the salt crystal under the rug. And uh, yeah. And I don't know. And I actually want to see, I actually want to see like um, in another gameplay starting another uh playthrough like what would happen if i actually did you know if i didn't actually antagonize hyzant like if i didn't go to protect the Rizal village like you know what would i have to do on that what what would i have to do then like instead of having to discover the soul crystal and not get completely destroyed by hyzant's forces what would i have to do then like that's actually that's a little bit more replayability it's like okay what else can I do aside from doing this? Yeah. 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 I, I, I think triangle strategy is going to be a game that I end up circling back to at some point just to explore all those other options. And I think I'm going to feel like I'm playing a completely different game. Yeah. You know, that that's going to be really cool. And in terms of the combat and like party members like the because the, there's a, a plethora of optional recruits for you to bring into the fold and as you make choices throughout the game you build up sarah noah's convictions and the convictions are liberty utility and i think morality yeah and you build those convictions and based on the on your initial playthrough you won't see the metrics but on new game plus you can see what's going on so that you can manipulate it is my understanding and um i'm interested to know out of the optional characters because there are a lot that i never even met so um the, the entire list is narv who's really cool uh hasabara who i never met i have no idea who that is julio I'd have to see like their character models actually to remember okay. like the name like like the names aren't I for the side characters connect, considering they're never like in the story it's really hard to get connected with them or have them stick out in your memory outside of the gameplay like um certain characters like uh like I think we're gonna ask like you know out of the most out of all the characters that you know were available like which ones did I like the most or um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Or- hey, no, you're okay. Um, I, w- I guess I was going to... Because like, I think that the optional recruits, when you spend time in the encampment, you don't have to talk to them, necessarily. There's some that play a role in the encampment, which is cool. Like uh, the barkeep, um, yeah. Archibald. Uh, it's it's the person that you like. You can go talk to that will like... Uh, where you can spend your kudos points. And, um, but some uh, are blacksmith, the merchant and yeah, I know, yes. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Jens is the, the, uh, blacksmith, I believe. But, um, 
Narv was the the boy whose grandfather was that great mage, and oh yeah yeah yeah, he had the wind abilities. Uh, oh yeah, that were yeah. really cool. Um, and on on one level, actually, um, I'm sorry to me get off on a tangent, but like, uh, what is it? The one level where you're fighting in like a wheat in like a wheat field, you can actually, um. If you had both Frederica and Narv like uh, next to each other, if an enemy was close to you, what you could do was like have her light like one little area on fire. But then with Narv's uh, wind abilities, you could actually blow the fire to even more squares of the of the wheat field. Like it's actually like it was actually kind of cool to see that much. Like, like I, I, I hate to keep saying it, but it's deep. Like, um, and with the shamaness, um, her name escapes me. But if you're standing in, I was gonna say, I, th- I think I might be able to find it. Uh, I think it's Azana. Azana. There we go. Yeah, I think that's right. Like, whenever you're, uh, basically, like, whenever people are just like standing in like, um, open fields like water. Like, whenever you zap like one person, everybody get zapped for like a certain amount of damage like it's not a lot but there's also a chance of paralysis so you can actually mm-hmm. it's actually you can actually make her into like a crowd control kind of person and it's awesome just to see like that it's just like a little touch but it works so well yeah it it's so interesting to because like i i for the most part didn't swap out too many of my players um, I definitely, I used Archibald quite a bit and Julio I used a lot. Um, and then it was the, um, was it the battle point kind of person? The guy that had the, the, the kid that had like the glasses, the person that would, uh, yes, that could increase your battle points. Okay. I'm just, I'm just making sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny cause I didn't use him to like his full potential. I don't think. Because there were a few times where, like, I was play- like, uh, I granted Anna like two extra TP so that I would have a take cover after the next thing I was gonna do, because you know you're trying to balance like, uh, okay, if I use poison dagger, it's gonna use one of my turn points, and then I won't be able to use take cover. But if I used Julio to grant Anna some extra tp then she'll be able to use the poison dagger and then use take cover and evade everything and just i mean that i think is the proper use of julio i almost uses him as like another swordsman um until i started to realize like hey it would probably be really beneficial for me to swap him out for somebody more like i think i ended up using um what's the character's name again uh Corentin as like he was I'm the sorry. the ice mage that you get from the ministry right 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 sorry. because no you're okay i i so many characters so many characters uh i enjoyed frederica's style so much that i figured like even though like almost how you were saying with Narv where you could blow the the fire to more squares. I could use Frederica to set a square on fire and continue to burn an enemy after that turn passed. But I in doing so I might have accidentally put fire on a square that one of my friendlies was standing on. But if I got to play as 
um, Corentin next, I could set that damage to hit and the ice would put out the fire for my friendly, but also damage the enemy character again. And then I didn't have to worry about when the turn rolled around my person getting hurt by the fire and kind of using them to kind of play those two sides. And it, it to me, just everything from unit placement to the, the units that you pick and the interchangeability and experimenting with other characters. And I mean, you could, you could play the game with, when it comes to the battle segments, you could swap out almost every main character and play it a completely different way. And uh, I even felt like, you know, if you swapped in like a level eight when you're up at like level 17, if they attack somebody, it still hurt them, but that character would level a lot quicker. Uh, yeah. Like not, like not even just like um, hurting somebody where you could actually have like, um, there's this uh, one character, I can't remember her name. It's the nurse that's from Hyzant, the one that lost um, one of her patients because you had to help somebody else. Yeah, um, Medina. Medina. Um, one of the things that I did with her was whenever I needed her for another saving because I, I knew I was going to need another healer. So I went ahead and this is how I learned that you actually got your items back after if you fill the mission. Um, I had her... Um, I had her basically just throw healing items at people to basically keep their health up. And she would actually get XP from doing that too. Like you didn't actually have to have her go up to somebody and just like stab them or something like that. You would, you could actually just have them do just like beneficial tasks to heal them. Like that's how people like Gila could level as well. How, uh, Benedict with bulwark or raging beast. Or, Bennett, uh, or giving somebody an extra turn and everything like that. Yeah, it, there's just a variety of ways to just like have all of your characters level up. And even if you need that specific person, it's not like, okay, so they're level 9, I can't use them at all because I need them at level 30. It's like, no, you could just basically, you could throw your entire match if you want to. Just have him go around, level up to level 30, and then you have him, you know, exactly where you want him for that match now, and then you can basically get through it if you needed that specific character yeah. and whatever comes to uh, unit placement one of the things i love to do was basically surround a boss like uh whenever i fought source lay what i did was have it so anna was behind him and have uh basically have roland go up to him and what i would do was whatever came to their turns the next time around was um Make it so Anna did the attack that basically melted somebody's entire um, armor away. Like it's it's one of her, it's her ultimate ability. And what I would do after that is with Roland, I would have him do his ultimate attack, which is like uh, the four raging dragons or something. Like that. Mm-hmm. It's a weird Japanese name, and I loved it. <laughs> but those two attacks alone literally just killed Sorcelay and like one and just like one exchange because he melted. You melted somebody's entire armor, which then made it so that attack also did extra damage. But then you had somebody's incredibly powerful attack that did like multiple attacks in a row, also melt just completely destroy somebody health somebody's health bar, and that was very useful for other bosses in the game. Like I won't spoil it because I know you didn't do the golden route, and I'm just gonna say this right now. <laughs> 
<laughs> that entire segment of that game of that playthrough, it's going to drive you nuts. That's all really? I'm saying. Okay. Oh yeah. All right. Yeah, I remember when I proposed the idea of like, hey, I'm gonna play triangle strategy when I beat it. Do you want to do a review discussion? You were like, Yeah, do the golden route. Actually play it how you want to and then maybe do it after the fact. Um, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um if you didn't if you didn't have all the characters for the golden route, dude. You're kind of screwed because you need literally everybody. It's, Got you. Okay. It's kind of one of those things. I'm not going to okay. spoil it and okay. how it does it. Yeah. yeah. I would love to build up to that because I feel like Triangle Strategy is going to be in the upper echelon of my favorite games of all time, I think. Because, man, it's just so I good. I can see that. Um, but really quick, I want to run down some of the lists of the characters that, you know, I, I, I think, you know... We've talked about Sarah Noah and his involvement in the game that like, I feel like he plays like an, a Prince Ashitaka from Princess Mononoke kind of like trying to bridge everything. And, you know, p- people might call him a glorified fence setter, you know, but ultimately yeah. he, he is as democratic of a leader as possible. He leaves everything up to his party and he makes no decision without consulting everybody and, you know, that plays into the gameplay and the scales of conviction and all that. But, um, what, like, as a, as a main character, what did you think of Sarah Noah? Well, like you said, when, whenever it comes to him being like, uh, the prince, like, one thing that I think they kind of nailed with him was that, yeah, he's democratic, he's kind, he's understanding, everything like that. But whatever it comes to actually needing to defend something, like he actually gives his all, he puts his life on the line. He's not just somebody that like, you know, sits behind everybody and just tells people what to do. Like he actually does take action. He's somebody that does take the initiative. He helps. Like even sometimes in the gameplay, like he'll be the first to fall sometimes. Like I just love that about him. And it's, it's hard to see a main character like that because most of them, them, most of the time like a main character in like a jrpg can sometimes just be like a very can be very generic it can be somebody like jack garland from the recent strangers of paradise where you can either just be somebody that's trying to make people laugh half the time or you know look cool or somebody that's just like an everyman that's just completely inoffensive but with sarah noah like even though he's a main character and he has to be as as has to have like that broad appeal to people He's still somebody that feels like he has his own distinct character, thoughts, and to, to, to play to the pun, he has his own convictions in life. So. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Um, Frederica, I thought, you know, I th- Frederica, as soon as you meet her, you know, you, you immediately see her on the battlefield and you're made aware of her abilities and strengths. And I think... Um, although like you're put in this position where, you know, some bandits show up, which we'll talk about later, uh, Trish and, uh, Travis, I think are their names. Yeah. yeah. Travis and Trish. And, you know, the, the, they very easily could have fallen right into damsel in distress kind of territory, but instead, you know, Sarah Noah and Roland show up and, 
I think even like Jill is like, uh, you'll be surprised at her like competency on the battlefield or, you know, we'll help out in whatever way we can. And then she's very clearly like, like her abilities are super powerful. And then when you get into like her just trying to figure out her, her motivations and like, like figure out her history. And by the end of the game, like she was a character that I, I tried to, to max out as soon as possible in terms of like stats. Um, I did see the merit, especially when you start to uncover some more stuff in the, the story that, that her history, like at first I think you could look at it like, Oh, she just wants to find out what happened to her mom. But the more you find out about it, you start to see how much of a role her mom plays in the overarching story. So if you if you do the thing that feels like you're just pandering to your girlfriend by doing whatever she wants to do all the time, it's actually rewarded in that what she wants to do actually is super important and yeah. sheds light on so much. I thought that she was a pretty great character. What did you think? I, I love Frederica. Like, literally, that entire... Her entire character, I think, is one of the most, like, like I said, like it, it could have just been like a damsel in distress, somebody that's just weak that you wouldn't really care about, and maybe like she would snap at one point. Like, no, right from the very beginning, she's courageous and fierce, and I think that has a lot to do not by the fact that she's a Roselin, but because of the because of her upbringing. Like, she's an S Frost. Like, you could tell the abuse that she had to endure by being the sister to Thalys and Erica and mm-hmm. having a father that would not care about her like Gustadolf made her strong as what she was. And for a while, like she doesn't seem like she's really being that strong of a character because she's in the company of somebody like Sarah Noah, Benedict and the rest of house Wolfort. But that's because of the fact that she left a very, dangerous household and went to somebody that was caring like they actually cared for her so i actually gave her an opportunity to be like okay if i know i'm not in a hostile environment i would like to know about you know my heritage like it's it's not like she's being in service of like another character in the lore like it literally does feel like she went through her own trauma and she wants to figure out okay why does everyone hate the Rizalan? Why do they have to hide? Why do they have to be enslaved? Why yeah. did why did everything have to happen that way? And it comes down to the fact that slavery was happening beforehand, and they made it even worse whenever um, Orlea basically. Uh, God, it, it, it's part of it, it's part of um, Frederica's um, ending, so I won't talk about it that much. <laughs> but like the crystal got to where it was because of Orlea. Like she literally made it, she made it known that it's not that, that Hyzant isn't just the only place that's going to have salt, but they're going to keep using religion as their tool to manipulate the rest of the world. And I loved just seeing that entire journey that I, all the lore, all the stuff I got to see just because of Frederica was amazing. I think she's one of the best characters of that entire game. It's incredible. Yeah. Agreed. Like a hundred percent. Just so the 
if if anybody watches this and decides to leave a comment, uh, I just don't want them to come at you all crazy. Uh, Frederica is the sister of Gustadolf. I don't know if we ever meet her father. Wait, is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're okay. You're okay. I was oh, like, God. Uh, oh, my bad, my bad. I'm, I'm um, gonna do Joe a solid real quick. No, you're you're totally fine. Um, yeah, you're good. Like that, it's been a bit, but so, like, <laughs> the the entire hostile environment that she had to endure by being yeah. uh, like like what was it? Wasn't some was Thalys and Erica like her nephew and cousin then? Basically, was that they... basically what it was? I believe so. Let me just double check. Yes, a sister of the Archduke. So yes, yeah. So basically, they were just all siblings. But still, like being yeah. in, in that kind of hostile environment with siblings like that, like it's it's rough. It really is. Yeah, especially when they came across like twins. That you know, I don't know if they exactly were twins, but they came across like they had that like they had like a Jesse and James kind of mentality from like Pokemon. Where they just kind of ganged up on her, especially because she was like a half sister and she was Rosalyn, so it was like easy to ostracize her and uh make yeah, her even with um with Phallus and Erica though, like you know, me and me and you basically experienced like the same uh was a battle scenario with, with them, like whenever they were on the bridge, like whenever you take out either Phallus or Erica, like when it, the one that the one that's remaining standing, like I'll always remember this with uh, Thalys. Um, I killed Erica on the bridge, and his response wasn't like um, it wasn't like a it wasn't like this menacing hatred towards Frederica or anything like that. In response, it was basically him looking over at um, Erica and saying, like you know, basically saying like, "Are, are you dead?" It, no, no matter like basically like like being in denial of the situation like he still think like they still think that they're going to succeed which technically they were because that was one of the battles where i only had like one person left so i was kind of on the skin of my, <laughs> i, I kind of wanted by the skin of my teeth but at the same time like it's just the way that they wrote all of their characters with that even in every one of the combat scenarios like you get to see like the civ- the civilian rivalry even and how they acted towards one another, like in this scenario, like I think Thousandera could say, like you know, you know, you know, Frederica, we don't have to kill you; you can just apologize. And she basically just says, "No, I'm not going to." And that's, yeah, that's awesome character development. I loved it. Yeah, Frederica, she, uh, she's she's immediately strong. She finds even more strength throughout the story, which is really awesome. And yeah, um, you know. In terms of like that battle on that bridge, like there are a lot of really tough battles throughout the game, and like I think the battle on the bridge was really tough. Took a lot of strategizing. Oddly enough, the battle with Avlora on the ships I beat on the first try, which I was like, "Hey, all right, like okay." But then the battle where you're defusing the bombs in the mine. Oh God, that one! I hated that, that fight so much. That one, I made all the mistakes. I made the mistake of not paying attention to the bombs, paying too close attention to the bombs. Because uh, it's really, as long as you defuse all the bombs, and it's it's like if you send some scouts out to, or like archers or people that just have high movement to take out the bombs, but then you try to pick off everybody else, you can kind of time it because it's really just defeat everybody 
and defuse the only bombs that are out there. But the longer you take, the more bombs get placed. And I don't and know. as you and as you take out more enemies, the more enemies come back in. And you're like, oh come on, man! I just took out one. Right? Why are you giving me three more to take out? Yeah. But with that scene, um, I think what really what really made it so I was I think I filled that scenario five or six times email and easy and that just shows how difficult the game is for even I don't know how many times you failed but with me like it was more or less because of the fact that whenever I saw how many like I would go over and like just scroll over it and basically say like oh, okay so 63 turns so that means for my players okay so I only have like six or seven so I could I can get over there in like seven turns like uh, no, uh, actually, that means 63 turns altogether. You have to rush and get over there before it runs out because yeah. it can it can. And like, I could say that's totally unfair, but at the same time, it's like, no, this is just testing my strategy and getting over there. Like, I hate how many times you've had to use the game's name as a pun here, but it's um, <laughs> <laughs> like it just I love all I just love the way that it tests like everything that you like how well you can handle something like um what is it whenever you have to fight uh it's one of the mock battles um where you could actually mm. there you have to like you have to make sure you at least have one person in like one small area but you have to take out everybody that's around it but then they start to in, but then they start to condense in that one small area and you have to make sure that you're well defended it's like it's all this little stuff that you never had to think about and now you're having to wrap your head around it and actually do it. Like the combat's tough, but but yeah. we're talking about the characters, though. My bad. Yeah, no, it's okay. I, I realized that we didn't dive too much into those battles, so I wanted to bring them up, like some of the bigger ones, real quick, and then di- circle back. But yeah, I did find that, like in that battle with the bombs, particularly, it really highlighted unit placement making sure you had the right items added to your players so that you could maximize their movement or their evasion. And that, like, I used, uh, what was her name? Uh, uh, Mila, or Milo, Milo. Uh, she had the fans. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And she could um, moon yeah, jump. She could, yeah, she could go all the way to one area... But then you could use like a, a move that literally like hazard like just leap to another thing. So it gives you like two entire turns in one turn. It's yeah, it's kind of unfair, but eh, yeah, I'm not gonna complain. Yeah, I would use her to moon jump like behind somebody, hit them, and then run away and get to a safe spot, and use that to like slowly chip away at people as I would make my way over to bombs. And I mean. <sighs> The, the the strategy pun like to harken yeah harken back to the name is uh <laughs> like just the options that you have are so deep and like you may not even realize that you could do that if you didn't choose to play as milo you know if you swapped her out for somebody else and maybe somebody else had their own benefits but um real quick let's uh let's dive into roland somebody that i think is a incredibly complex character who's at first i thought i think i like roland more than i like sarah noah but then as we kept playing through the game it it just seemed like uh it was the the passion that roland has that made me like be like oh this guy's so cool but by the end of the game i think you see that like sarah noah's measured diplomatic 
democratic way of going about things is a little bit more admirable. And maybe it's like seeing Roland's like fall from grace and that in terms of the way that my story played out, and I'm assuming yours did on the first playthrough. Um, but you know, I also kind of, I don't know how you felt, but I felt like Roland was kind of like weak in the combat department. Um, but let, let me know what you think about Roland. Uh, well, first to talk about just like his character overall, like I love how whenever he was introduced, he was basically this carefree prince. Like he just wanted to hang out with his friend. He didn't really care about his family all that much. But as time went on and the war went on as well, like he saw his his kingdom was snatched from him. His father died. Like literally the father got beheaded in front of the entire kingdom and he didn't even get a chance to even see it or have an opportunity to save him. Yeah. He lost uh the dawn spear like he you know somebody that i think was hit was actually his mentor so he lost his mentor his brother his father and then after that you know his sister got married off to the person that did it all and all of that i was expecting roland to just lose it completely i thought he was going to go i thought there was going to be like an entire arc where he just couldn't handle it like he wasn't able to talk or anything like that i thought he was just going to be broken down like but he kept going and I admired that. But I think because of the fact that he never had a chance to grief that ended up wearing him down over time mm-hmm. to the point where we talked about, you know, him handing over Hyzant to, sorry, not him handing over Hyzant, him handing Glenbrook <laughs> to Hyzant. And I think that was because of the fact that if he did that, he saw that he could actually have time to heal. Like I understood that perspective. Like, obviously we don't agree with it, but it's just like, I understand why he would want to, give up overall he doesn't want to fight anymore like he's just somebody that just doesn't want to deal with it he just wants to have a chance to rest and heal and in the ending that you got like at that very end like you saw him trying again to be a a leader again but he hasn't even had time to deal with the fact that he couldn't even be a leader before yeah so i I feel for him. I hate. I, I hated everything that he went through. Even if I think, you know, some of the story beats that he went through, like him, you know, pretending he was the Dawn Spear for a while. Which, ironically, the Dawn Spear comes back to life anyway. So that was yeah. that was kind of like a weird thing. But I'm not going to complain. I'm Who, not gonna by the way, I think, you know, I I don't know because I didn't get the ending, but the uh, Centralia. The place where the Roselle and like are rumored to have like all fled to, or like that's their like bastion, uh, where there's like a lot of Roselle, and that's where, you know, Sarah Noah and Rose uh, and uh, sorry Frederica say let's free the Rosellans at the end of the game and take them to Centralia. I think th- that that is where Maxwell or the Dawn Spear washed up. When he floated down the river, I think he arrived in Centralia, was brought back to like got his strength built up and like took care taken care of by the Roselle in Centralia and then goes back. I think they loosely allude to that, but I don't know if that's true or not. It's just the impression that I was about giving. right too, because what was it? It was the because he was walking back with Roselle too. So I was at, yeah. I was actually assuming those were the people from the village, but then I remembered how exactly would he have ended up in that village as opposed to, you know, basically downstream. Yeah. So, and they would have seen yeah. him. 
when they yeah, went yeah. back, you know? Yeah. Um, but as far as Roland went with the uh, gameplay, I found him to be kind of standard to a degree. Like, he's not, in, he's not exactly weak. It's just the fact that he's more of an opportunist character for the... Um, for the battlefield like i said his ultimate attack the uh four dragons or whatever i, I gotta <laughs> i gotta look it up later but um like if you get him in a position where he's behind somebody and if you use somebody like anna to melt somebody's defenses away he could one shot a boss like he's a very good um character for the one strike thing but as far as it goes like as a character that would be used for more than just that sh- attack. It's just, he's kind of weak in that regard. And I've, I also noticed that he died a lot quicker than everybody else. Like I actually yeah. noticed that like he just, he was, he was just about as, as squishy as, um, Frederica, but Frederica at least could attack from, from range. So, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I put, I think like a defense ring, or defense amulet or something on Roland to try to make him viable because I kept finding that he would get like two hit and just be done and I'm like man I hardly got to use this guy like <laughs> I want to, I want to use him because I see the merit of like a having like a, a a character on a mount with a with a lance that can hit two squares in front of him and uh, wish he could do more but you kind of shed some light on on Roland in an interesting way that I hadn't considered where like he really did just want, he knew that his friends and outside of maybe Frederica and the, like the rest of the nation outside of the Rosellen people would be safe and he could begin to actually process everything that was happening. And he sat and thought about it and came up with, his own like twisted logical conclusion of like, at least if we do this, mostly everyone I know will be okay. And I can continue or I can move on and grieve and at least everyone will have salt and everyone will be taken care of and their needs will be met. And I don't know. Maybe it was a little short-sighted in the grand scheme of things because they had salt in abundance. All they had to do was continue to keep mining it and finding it everywhere. But um, yeah, that's the one thing that always bugged me about the story. Like it, it didn't detract from it, but it was the fact that if there's this mine that has all this salt, why are we still warring against Hyzant? Or well, why, why are we still trying to, you know, bend the knee to Hyzant, so to speak? Why can't? Why didn't they just be like? Obviously, like, you know, they want to have power over it, but I don't know why they just couldn't come to, like, a simple agreement and just mine it and not have to bend the knee to Hyzant whatsoever and just keep things together, but, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I, th- I I think that mostly comes from them knowing that Hyzant is not going to let their people realize that their teachings have been false and that their religion, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. everything would fall apart and it would not bode well for everyone. Um so I want to kind of like take a look at some of these characters and kind of cherry pick some of the the bigger players before we move on to our final thoughts. Um, you know, I, I don't think I knew this at the time, but to talk about 
kind of Benedict and his role in everything that was going on and and Anna at the same time because I didn't realize until maybe I missed it but Anna is Benedict's adoptive daughter and he at some point I started to think like oh they both have white hair like maybe this is his daughter and I know that if you're adopted, that doesn't mean you're going to inherit your father's hair color, but you never know. You never know, <laughs> you know, but that, I think that might've been like a tip of the cap of what was going on and Anna's story and, you know, going off and doing the job, like eavesdropping, finding out what Benedict wanted done and then going and getting it done to kind of like prove her worth and, uh, to be a scout for them and a spy. And, um, I just think that like, they are, I mean, in terms of combat, I used Anna quite a bit, but I think she never left my party. I needed ne- her all the time. She was awesome. Yeah. Too good. I, I, I think Anna is the unsung hero in this whole thing. Cause even in the resolution of the story, I don't think they ever really give Anna any shine. Not that Anna would even want it. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's kind of there. So, yeah, but I really enjoyed her and, and enjoyed, you know, Benedict's drive. I think, I mean, I know we touched, we talked about him probably enough with like the Snape comparisons and, uh, and his involvement with kind of manipulating almost everybody to meet the ends that he needed, but with good intentions. Um, is there anything you want to add to Benedict and Anna? Well, for Benedict, and not really. Like I said, we, we've talked enough about him. But <laughs> with um with Anna, though, like, um, did you see any of the uh, the character stories for her? Though, like, they actually did, like that. Like, so they they did dive into that, and I actually liked how they came to be. Like, they accident. I, I don't think it was accidental. I think it was, I think it was purposefully killed. I think her father, but they didn't know that she had a ch- that they had a child, so they took it as penance and wanted to, you know, make things right by raising her. So like, I think there was like a little story with her that she was trying to figure it all out and they did. And I can't remember the exact resolution for it, but it was nice to see that she wasn't just this scout that just did whatever anybody wanted her to do. Like she at least had something that she wanted to figure out or do. She wasn't the deepest character, but I did love seeing the journey that she did go on. For gameplay, though, like I said, like she never left my party. Like she, the way that she maneuvered was the fact that she could literally jump up an entire like cliff, like actually do like a whole like 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 jump up an entire cliff, go across somewhere, stealth like basically turn invisible and then do it all again and then basically you know sneak behind enemy lines and actually start attacking from from that end if you're focusing on the front end of that of that force as well. Like it's, there's so much utility with her. And like I said, the ultimate attack that she has where she's just melting somebody's armor away. If, if you use that right before you attack somebody else again, like you could probably take out somebody's health to like a, to basically like one third left. Like if you were to fight, like, I think it was like source, uh, not source. It was some, it was somebody else. I can't remember, but 
um, the next turn, if she didn't die by everybody else just going out and killing her, basically, like you could actually, <laughs> you could just take him. You could just take out that exact person that you needed to take out. And I love how it. She's more. The way that she was designed was to be very single target focused. Like she wasn't meant to um, go after multiple characters at a time or something like that. And the fact that you could throw poison to somebody if they, um, like if. If you didn't have enough uh, tactical points to turn invisible, you could at least throw one pellet of um, poison at somebody from behind to at least start doing damage to them before you get over to them. Yeah, I, I love how they designed her. Yeah, yeah, uh, great. Again, unsung hero. Um, <laughs> a character we haven't talked about at all, but I loved is Eridor. Just he is the. The like the shield that yeah. you want on your team. He's the the heavy, you know. Like he's your tank. He can ram people off cliff sides and into other people, and um, at the same time, he he loves House Wolfort and Lord Simon and Sarah Noah, and really just wants what's best for house wolf for and Glenbrook, and um i think so i think it'd be easy to write him off as kind of like one note but i think that that one note is really endearing and uh just wanted to kick it over to you and say like what did you think of erador erador was very hearty like um well first one to talk about like, the voice acting form i loved whoever they got to do his English voice acting. Yeah. It was awesome. Like, even though certain lines, I feel like he could have delivered them in like a different way. I'm not going to really take that away from him though. It's just kind of like a, that's just literally nitpicking for me. But, um, for Eridor though, I loved his back and forths with Benedict and their, in the character stories. Like, like I'm pretty sure he went through his film as well. Like the fact that he, he wouldn't necessarily like attack Benedict, but it was more or less like a friendly disagreements. And the mm -hmm. fact that in combat, you can kind of see that he's always willing to put his life on the line through his attacks. Like there's actually like um, his ultimate attack was basically making it. So I think it's like he and like everybody, like in like a circle around him, everybody would just be invincible. Like he's always there for people. And I really loved everything that he was. And Oh, there's not much to really say about him in that regard. Yeah, he he's a great character that like embodies the like it is what it is. Like he is just yeah. the shield and I think Hardy. You said Hardy. That's a great yeah. word to describe him. He's he's uh he's a lion, you know? He's on the team, he's bold, he's intimidating, uh but he he has the heart of a lion. You know. Yeah, and um, you mentioned like somebody like you could knock somebody off a cliff. Like I actually saw somebody who was fighting a uh, Thalos and Erica, and how they actually defeated the the last like the last of the twins. I think it was Erica. Is that he? They actually had him like just ram Erica off the the bridge. Like she was <laughs> she was at, she was actually at like full health, and it it literally killed her like in that one hit. I was like, jeez, I did I did not think of that. I probably should have. Same. No, I I did the. The, the long game, the patient game of putting the archers up on the, the perches and just taking them out. But using Anna to be invisible and then 
making her visible for a moment while they were because you know if you just had the two archers at the top they wouldn't push forward they would actually move away but if you used Anna on the ground floor to make yourself visible for a turn it would pull them closer and then you could go invisible on your next turn with her and then start picking them off with arrows and that was my method but I never thought to use Aridor to just push them off the bridge (laughs) that's genius like, like with his push, like there's a lot more utility with it too. Like if you, um, like you can also like push somebody into like a wall and they do like a little bit more damage, or you can push somebody into somebody else and it does a little bit of damage to the character that you push them into, but that, but that other character will actually turn around and actually attack. So it'd be like that, um, little two sided attack that they teach you how to do and fairly early in the game. Like there's yeah. a lot of utility that he, that he can do. It's it's. It's something you don't notice until it's like, you know, you have like six turns to defuse the bombs. So you have to figure out something. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Um, so outside of the main party, um, I have a number of characters that I think it makes sense for us to touch on before we um, before we go to our final thoughts. But I, I'm going to speed round. I'm going I'm to I'm lob them at you. And you give me your thoughts. If I have something to add, I'll add to it. Um, if I remember them, yeah. If you I remember, remember them. I, I think you'll remember them. Uh, King Regna. Well, how did you feel? Yeah. About, <laughs> how did you I feel mean, about him letting them lie about him and admitting to it? It was because of the fact that he knew he was going to lose regardless. But it was just yeah. kind of like... Like, what can you actually say in that specific situation? Because if you yell, like, no, this is all Goose at all's fault, that's just, like, um, I think Benedict said it to Sarano and uh, Roland, it's like, it's just going to be the ramblings of a madman. So yeah. I feel like we just didn't get enough screen time with them. And yeah. I hated that both him and Roland's brother did not get enough screen time. Because I feel like they could have definitely fleshed out those characters. Because you knew what they... You know what they meant to Roland and everybody else, but it's just the fact that we just that we the player just didn't get enough chances to see them. That just kind of felt a little yeah. a bit of a missed opportunity. Yeah. You know? If you know, I, I always think that like sometimes like let the mind wander about things and like try to guess what like might have happened it's it's almost like the argument of like i don't need the movie solo even though i like the movie solo i don't i don't need that to understand like how han and chewbacca got to the cantina it the fact that they're just there and they're smugglers i can run with that but i would love a prequel for this game to see everything that was going on with orlea and lord simon and king regna and yeah that the bat the the salt iron war prequel would be an awesome game if they oh, do yeah. it i feel like triangle strategy is probably going to be a one-off but i would even like some like dlc like a 20 hour dlc or something could be pretty God, cool i really want a dlc for this game really <laughs> it would Not be so about traveler like i hate that they kind of treat them like one-offs like i think they said they're going to make like a sequel to octopath at one point okay. but it's like just give me something else for now, you know? Yeah. But um, that has nothing to do with this conversation. Though. Yeah. Didn't you? Something. Um, uh, we kind of, we talked about Cordelia, but 
do you, I, I I think that she had merit in that when Evlora has that conversation with her about like kind of like what do you want? Like why are you asking me? And Cordelia takes that to heart and goes, Yeah, no, I need to start making things happen for me. And yeah. starts scheming internally. I thought that that was pretty cool. Yeah, like with Cordelia, like I know I harped on about her voice actor, and I, <laughs> but, but like, and I did mention like she's a very excellent character. I just think the voice acting lets her down. With Cordelia, she's actually one of the better characters. Like, it's the fact that I don't know. Maybe I just saw like. The fact that she was getting abused by Thalys and Erica as well. Like, you could actually see that, you know, we, Thalys and Erica don't have, you know, Frederica to pick on anymore. Might as well choose the next the next best target. And then whenever she's talking to Aflora, it's a mutual loyalty agreement. The fact that Aflora literally sees that, you know, you're weak now, but you are stronger than you think. Mm-hmm. And that you just need a shield and you can be a sword on your own. And I love how far that she was able to go to the point where, um, what was it? On the bridge scene, whenever, not the bridge. Uh, the ship. The ship. Like, whenever she, she could have just let Evora die. Mm-hmm. But she stood in place of the spear. Mm-hmm. Because she knew that it wasn't a one-way loyalty thing. It was, it was mutual. I loved seeing them do that because one it was shocking it was really shocking to see her do that but it just showed how much she grew from being somebody that was very um weak weak looking mm-hmm. to somebody that could actually stand up even if it wasn't <laughs> sorry it's okay my dog was barking too it's not even my dog it's somebody else's dog oh man <laughs> but um yeah final thoughts on cordelia though like voice acting aside she is a wonderful character i loved seeing like i said like it wasn't bad enough to the point where i wanted to skip her like everything that she talked about and did she was an awesome character so yeah when when she jumped in front of roland when he was trying to strike down evlora afterwards i was like gila what are you doing heal her like come on you know and they they do go gila do something and so we can get her back and uh that was cool I, i'm glad that it they didn't just like let her die when gila's just like standing there knowing full well she could do something about it but um yeah a bit of inconsistency there's like look you can heal somebody or bring them back from the dead and then you just don't <laughs> do anything in a cutscene. really what what are you here for then yeah exactly <laughs> um the only other character I think, I mean, we can get into the Saintly Seven as kind of like a broad strokes. Like we could talk about every character in there because in the Saintly Seven, there's Exham Marshall, Sorsley End, Lila, um, who is uh, the woman that was in the Saintly Seven that was, uh, she seemed like kind of like the person they sent out to speak on behalf of the saintly seven at the, the the big gathering at the beginning of the game where they had like the duel between everybody um then there was uh let's see Camsel, uh tenebris and edor and then ultimately saranoa ends up joining the saintly seven i guess depending on how you play there might be a a story I arc i think it's like we said like um with the story like it always 
it'll always converge on certain points that'll always play out like sort of the same it'll just be like different dialogue and everything like that so at least yeah. feels like you know your choices aren't completely wasted yeah. but even then like you get to experience different things along the way um out of all the saintly seven i think sorsley was probably the most interesting ones of the bunch like he wasn't somebody that was just it wasn't somebody that was just completely loyal he was basically a scumbag he was somebody that literally took his opportunity to manipulate others make extra money on the sides and just feed into himself he knew the position that he was in and he took advantage of it even though i don't think that's moral it's still something a little bit more interesting than somebody that's just there to order people to kill a rosellan if they ask for water i'm sorry that's a little yeah. it's a little mediocre in my opinion yeah um for like like, like it was lila right the, the lila the the, yeah lila okay i this is something that this was a little thing that they put into the into the writing that I really loved. It was the fact that they talked about how the younger um, people of the kingdoms are always open to a new way of thinking. Like people that are set in their ways in a you know in a much older age, like they're not going to want to change anything. They're going to want things to be samey, or they're going to want things to be more beneficial to them. That's just. It's just the way something that it's just it's just the way that it is sometimes. With Lila, Dragan, Sarah Noah, Frederica, they all wanted things to change a lot. Like they wanted to get like they actually I think like uh what was it, the one banquet scene, like they were talking about how they hated the whole taxation thing and you know, Lila didn't shoot it down. Like she literally did she wanted to have a conversation about it. Like she was fair, honest. And I feel like she could have done so much more if she wasn't somebody that had to be bound by being a saintly seven. Yeah. She ends up becoming like the high Zant like head person in this, in the turn of events where it's like, uh, Sarah Noah is the King of Glenbrook Archduke. Uh, Gusadolf is the, archduke of asfrost and i believe if i remember correctly lila becomes the the head of hyzant yeah you take care of um you defeat her before uh let's see you, you defeat her and then you have and then you fight the hierophant in that ending basically like it's like a yeah. two-pronged um attack and yeah like I, I love that they did. I love that they actually just gave her a chance instead of just killing her off. Like yeah. they could have easily have just killed her off instead of trying to, instead of basically adhering to. Like I said, like the uh, the younger people in the in the kingdom, like they want things to change. Like they were more willing to forgive each other because they have a long life ahead of them. They don't want to cut somebody's life that short. Yeah. But somebody like Sorcelay and people like Gustav, like if you take care of them now, like they can't like the way that they were running, they weren't going to, you know, ruin things any further, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, outside of that there, uh, maybe we can end on talking about the, uh, the Hierophant and that it is this automaton that is this facade. But then when you fight that end battle with all of the, um, it was the other like puppets or like marionettes almost that you had to fight. I think that the Hierophant being this automaton that 
was really just Edor tr- pushing his own agenda. And um, I think the Hierophant being this hollow shell is a metaphor for almost all of Hyzant at the end yep. of the day. It's just this this symbol that is guiding everything. And yeah, they use the... Um, ooh, man, what was that? The The purple power that they used to like blow up the bridge i forget what that's oh, called now man. I, I don't remember the name of that specific thing but i know what you're talking about yeah it's but, their um, big weapon you know yeah and the fact that it was able to be used for that specifically was actually pretty interesting how it could actually give life to something that's basically dead like it was yeah. just a doll to sit upon a throne so edor could pretend that it was not him that was manipulating people but um, when you were talking, you were basically alluding to symbolism with the Hierophant, and something that I think was a little bit just as smart was the fact that the marionettes that fought alongside it were basically indistinct from one another, while also being on streams. Like yeah. basically, they were being puppeteer. Like basically, how they were treating the Rizellans. Like all of them, I know I'm going to sound wrong whenever I say this. All of them looked pretty pretty much the same to them so whenever it came down to it they were just puppets that they could just pull the strings to get salt and everything like that it was yeah it was pretty cool i i loved what they did with that i just i just hated seeing the fact that uh with with theodore they they just (laughs) needed to kill him off quicker than that i'm sorry yeah yeah no it's it's what i think is a natural extension of their mindset is we need something that is that we can control and manipulate that can do our bidding so that we don't have to be the ones to do it. And the fact that the Hierophant is exactly that is uh pretty uh pretty well thought out. I think I think they nailed that. Um yeah. But I think with that we can move on to our final thoughts cuz we're three minutes past two and a half hours so i appreciate your time um no problem. but you know i i forget uh, uh what did you score triangle strategy in your official review outside of some of the technical problems like whenever it comes to reviewing on lords of gaming.net i literally do try my best to stay as objective as i possibly can which sucks because i really want a triangle strategy to be the first 10 out of 10 that i would give on the site it was just a, it was just basically a couple of like point uh it was 9.8 out of 10 instead of like a 10 like i had okay. like it yeah. was nearly flawless to me like it was outside of some of the technical issues and some of the voice acting like it's stuff that i just couldn't ignore and i had to dock the score just a little bit even if it was just that minuscule of a score i probably could have just ignored but i can't do that i have to be i have to have a little bit of integrity on that front you know and yeah I, I, um, with the review, I called it the 2D HD Magnum Opus because I believe whenever it comes down to all of the games that they're going to make with this style, Octopath Traveler was amazing. It was an amazing, uh, original 2D HD, sorry, um, original retro type of JRPG. But they're going to be, they're starting to use this style a little bit more for, uh, remakes of games like Dragon Quest 3 and Live Alive. So, Whatever it comes down to all of those games, all the games that I'm seeing in the future at the very least, I feel like Triangle Strategy is going to be the one that sits above all of them to be mm-hmm. the one that everyone's going to refer to as 
okay, so you did this game that's basically a modern video game using a retro style, but also giving people enough nostalgia at the same time, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think what when I did my review for it, just on my YouTube channel, I, I, I thought about it for a really long time, and I use the same scoring that I would use for a, a Lords of Gaming review. Um, the... But the reason why I gave it a five out of five out of, you know, I, I I kept thinking that, you know, if this was a game that looked like Horizon Forbidden West or God of War or The Last of Us Part Two or, you know, something of that scale, this would be no question in terms of the story and the gameplay and everything. It'd be a five out of five. Nobody would even question it. But I think that because of its art style people would be like wait that's a five out of five and the more i thought of that i thought about it i was like that's kind of stupid and i don't like that and the the weird little performance fluctuations i was like personally i was like i think this this game would run great on anything other than the switch i mean it still plays really well but i i think a lot of that can be chalked up to the like just the the increasingly apparent age of the switch at this point and yeah um i mean we've been mentioning a bit with the technical issues like i'm not sure if this is ethical to even really talk about but the um during the first few release weeks of the of the game being out there um somebody actually was able to um get it on an emulator and what they found is that they could actually run it at a full 4k at 240 frames per second i actually watched the footage and obviously i'm not endorsing people to you know pirate this game you know obviously support it as much as you possibly can but if it was a game if if this game were to be on pc or um just like octopath traveler is on xbox right now like it could run at a beautiful 4k 60 at the very least and it would be one of the most impressive experiences yeah yeah chef's kiss <laughs> yeah exactly and it just sucks to see it be held back that much which yeah. it's it's a little bit where it's really concerning that this game's art style is literally just you know it's a 2d style and each of the um each of the areas in the game uh were basically like little uh blops on the map basically mm-hmm. like there were like you could actually see like the world map around you know the the actual area itself like what what, what did you think about that specifically you mean when you were at the like the world map where you would select what mission you wanted to go on um so like whenever you were at the um whenever you're at high Zant, like mm-hmm. when, like if you were to like walk all the way up the stairs and you were to look through that um archway you could see like the world map around you oh yeah like, did, did you did you think that was like a little weird did you think that was like a technical limitation because i kind of I, I took it as like a stylistic kind of thing yeah i kind of just ignored it because it didn't really bother me at the end of the day but i feel like if it was if this game were to have been built on a switch pro or on even like an original xbox one i feel like they could have made it more like octopath traveler where they had where they actually had paths that you could just kind of connect in between all of these different areas of the game. But ah, I don't know. It's just yeah. kind of weird to see. 
Yeah, I think there was an interview with the creators um, where they were talking about the reason they went with triangle strategy this time around, as opposed to Octopath Traveler, you know, Octopath was like, there were eight different branching paths and they wanted to kind of hone it in. So that may have been their design, like the, the aspect of the design that everything was predicated on was like, let's dial it back a little bit. And so maybe that example of the, just everything beyond the parameters that you're playing in currently kind of being simplified was probably their way of just being like, what's the point? Let's just convey our intent and then kind of make it as easy as possible. And who knows, maybe it had to do with trying to keep those exploration moments running smoothly. Mm -hmm. If we were already seeing like frame rate dips and things like that going on. But yeah, I think their design philosophy, that's the term I was looking for earlier, was let's let's downsize it a little bit, let's simplify it a little bit, but still have that depth and nuance. And it's a kind of I I, I haven't played Octopath Traveler, so I uh, I'm not sure. I I added it to my backlog. I was like, I'm gonna have to circle back and play this. But uh uh I think that sometimes less is more and yeah um, i mean definitely like this game like with octopath traveler i gave it like i think it was like an eight or something like that so the fact that triangle strategy even despite the fact that it's in my opinion a much smaller game it's much more it's much more condensed and it's better for that because it's a it's a simple pick up and enjoy kind of thing rather than like here's this massive world, go see all these different stories that I thought some of the stories in Octopath were really good, really brilliant, but some of them were just kind of meh at the end of the day. So I feel like they were trying, I feel like they were just trying their hand again, and they they didn't fail. They didn't fail. I just wish that more people would give this game a shot, you know? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. and I'm so glad that I did, because I almost didn't. I, I mean, I opted for Gran Turismo 7, when it came out and which I still really enjoy Gran Turismo seven is I know everybody talks about the microtransactions, but that is a great game. But I mean, you know, the same people that would talk about the microtransactions probably don't even have the game anyways. I'm not going to talk about that though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, <laughs> there's been somebody that I was listening to on a podcast recently that picked it up and started playing it. And I was like, man, y'all were talking mad slanderous about this game. And, <laughs> Now you've got a weeb car and on your PS5 and everything's changed. But I just, that's not a dig at anybody. I just think it's funny because um, yeah. you could tell that. It's you gotta give you gotta give games a shot if you're gonna say anything about them. In my opinion, yeah. And uh, and conversely, like me, I remember I was like I was at work and I was like, you know what? If Breath of the Wild's not coming out or Breath of the Wild 2 is not coming out this year, and I'm going to do a Nintendo podcast, I've got to play what might be the biggest game on the on the system this year. So I like went onto the Walmart app and uh, scheduled a pickup, and I was like, all right, I just got to get out of work. I'll go pick that up. It'll be date night. We'll go out. We'll have a good time. And then Friday, I will start playing this game. And... Even with my demo time, I was like, okay, I, I think I'm going to like it. And 
I, I'm just going to, I'm going to find out. I'm going to take, you know, every now and then you just got to buy something and see what happens. And I'm really, really glad that I did because now, you know, I have like this list on my phone of all my games of the year uh, or like, you know, the games that I'm playing, the new ones. And I, as something, as I'm playing, sometimes I'll bump things up and move them around. And I was maybe like two thirds of the way through triangle strategy. And I just like whoop, put it right at the top. I was like, yeah. I'm all in on this. And every aspect of it from the story to the gameplay, the music, the visuals, everything exceeded my expectations and blew me away. And so I, I can't, I can't right now until maybe like God of War Ragnarok or something. Uh, I said in my review, I don't see anything usurping its place on the throne this year. Uh, Currently for me, it is my game of the year. Like, it's kind of weird. Like, but I mean, back, you know, a couple months ago, like that was my thought even then, like, you know, after I was done with triangle strides, like, this is going to be my game of the year because I I know there. So I'm looking forward to a lot of games like Plague Tale, Requiem, uh, Slime Rancher Two, and a lot of and you know whatever else gets revealed later on this year. Like I thought, I thought the new Star Wars Jedi game was going to come out this year, but you know, whatever <laughs> they need they need time, so I'm not going to worry about it. But it's just it does show just what can still be done and how much a game that's supposedly you know, very retro looking that isn't as high quality, quote unquote, to people that would just take a look at it can be at such a high place after just playing it for a little bit. It's it's awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, I think we can end on that. Um, uh, Joe, I really I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This has been I, I mean, I've never had almost three hours go by so quick in my life. So, uh, same here. Yeah. Um, for anyone that doesn't already know, uh, let the people know like, uh, where they can find you and, uh, what you got going on. Well, first off, thank you for having me seriously. And I want to give a massive apology for all of the little distractions, like hey. the dog, the little, whatever the heck that was in my room earlier. I don't know what kind of noise that was, but um, <laughs> I am an assistant editor at Lords of gaming.net. My name is Joseph Repko on there. Uh, just go to Lords of gaming.net and just check out some of the stuff that even you have some articles on there and you do amazing work. Check out all of his videos. Seriously. Oh, Your stuff is professional, great quality, man. Like it's, it's amazing. I, when I used to do YouTube videos back in the day and um, even whenever I was doing um, reviews, like I really wish I could make stuff that was even half as good as yours. And I mean that it's, it's, I'm not just being, I'm not just trying to be like inspiring. Like I really do love the work that you do. It's amazing. And um, thank you. Just one last thing to plug. Um, uh, follow me on Twitter at flame Lognet, And yeah, thank you very much for having me, man. Absolutely. Uh, man, you're too kind. I appreciate your kind words. Thank you. Uh, and, you know, in terms of like writing output, I got to give it up to you. You, uh, you like for everything that like, you know, uh, I always feel like, man, because I want to get these videos out and I want to do this stuff. And uh, I understand that my passion is the video editing and I want to work up to interviewing people and, you know, 
and going to studios and interviewing devs and talking to people. And I know that it works out kind of serendipitously that I get to like when I work on like a big retrospective or something to be able to basically take my script for it and make it an article. And I love that Lords of Gaming gives me that, uh, that leeway, but I see your output and I like, I'm always just like, man, like, come on, find some time to like, like put up something, get something out there. But, um, you know, oh, please, no matter how much <laughs> stuff I do, it's never going to compare to being able to go to the opening of an LRG, of a limited grand game store, sir. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Everything you did over there. That was amazing. Seriously. Hey. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And, um, I, I hope that, uh, this isn't the last time I would love to have you on again. And as soon as something comes up, I'm planning, I'm scheming a little bit. If anybody's listening this far, they can have this little nugget of, uh, just like any game that I happen to play that either if I did the review or I just know someone at Lognet is doing something or is at least playing it and beats it, uh, maybe not even connected to a podcast, but just uploading review discussions and spoiler casts and trying to cultivate this like a almost like a, a cinematic universe, if you will, of people that write for Lognet and if people enjoy the website and enjoy the people, we'll just be another vertical happening off on the side that it, it gives a platform for people to be on video and get podcasting experience and um and you know i just think like the rising tide rises all ships and if we all put bolster each other and use our platforms to try to get us to that next plateau i think it'll only benefit us all in the long run and so that's something that i i'm scheming on in the background and so even if we play like a uh i don't know uh, alive something like that something or you know even something that's on xbox like uh, if we wanted to have a ko the kangaroo conversation uh <laughs> i i would love to do it i i love doing stuff like this you know because nine times out of ten i'm watching content like this so i'm i'm just trying to make the content that i would want to watch you know well you're succeeding you just gotta keep at it and i hope the god you get to a really high place in this you hey. deserve it hey same you know it, you. it the the landscape continues to change but i think that if we all just uh follow our passions and you know this is the first time i've gone egoless into something you know i used to take my uh the like yellow white and red cables and plug them into my vcr and i realized i could put a blank tape in and record whatever I was playing on my PS2 and I would record like Sly Cooper time trials. And like when friends would come over, I'd be like, ha beat that. Or like show somebody <laughs> like me beating a boss battle or just recording the, uh, simple and clean kingdom hearts intro. So I could watch it whenever I wanted. Uh, I've always just felt that video stuff connected to video games is like something I'm really passionate about. And going down this road has been like a, uh, it's like the first time like I just started doing it and putting in the work and everything started to fall into place. Uh, and so I'm just going to continue down that road. And I think if we're all doing that, then 
a similar result will happen for us all. And uh, I see you on that path as well. So it's really exciting. Amen, brother. Yeah. Well, hey, again, thank you for your time. Uh, I'll go ahead and uh, let's see. uh, Well, (laughs) do the proper outro. Well, that was episode 24 of Me, Myself, and I, a Nintendo podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Again, if you enjoy the show, you can show your support by simply following the show on your podcast service of choice, subscribing to Hitbox Detective on YouTube, and Lord, uh, it's uh, Flame Lognet on Twitter. Um, and That's right, right? Yep. Okay, cool. And uh, I upload the uh, on my YouTube channel. The video component of the podcast goes up there. You can also find the audio-only stuff everywhere. Uh, that you find podcasts and if you follow me on twitter at hitbox detective that's another great way and don't forget to write in at me myself and i.pod at gmail.com or in the comments and uh again thank you for your support take care of yourselves and remember leave luck to the heavens you want to say anything joe nah (laughs) cool all right peace peace